Check, check. Me again. Hello there. All of you listening, wherever you may be. Oh, I'm back and I am tired. It's been a long three weeks in New Zealand. Beautiful three weeks in New Zealand. Don't I don't want it to sound like I'm complaining. I'm just tired. There's a lot of jet lag involved in flying over to the other side of the world, and I don't do that very often. But it's worth it. Had a really great trip down there with a lot of the motorcycle guys. We were shooting a special little piece for Harley Davidson. Not going to spill the beans about that yet because it hadn't come out yet. But when it does, I think you're going to enjoy it. But while I was down there, I took my little podcasting gear. I didn't know if I was going to find something, someone to interview or even have the time. But I did, in fact, because I stayed an extra week and shot with my buddy Jason Roman, who was over there doing the stills on this project. And he's done the stills on every project I've ever done with um, with Harley and with Jason. And uh, man, we had a great time. We had, we got we slipped into a routine. Wake up in the morning, go get some delicious coffee. The coffee in New Zealand is crazy, by the way. Best coffee I've ever had in my life. Best um, little meat pies and snacks and things chocolate is the best there Whitaker's damn oh that was good anyway we had a good time going to the coffee shop every morning and then going out and shooting during the day we shot a little piece for Leica that will be coming out as well because he is a Leica ambassador and this is not a paid promotion for Leica but um, from what I've learned through Jason they are a great company and I did shoot piece we we were doing over there for him on a Leica obviously which was my first time shooting on a Leica and I could tell you it's it's a maneuverable camera it really aesthetically is beautiful I've never taken the time to get used to the functions of another camera outside of my film cameras um, coming over from Canon but I did get it very quickly and I really like that Leica took Jason in because he fucking deserves it, man. Go look up his photography right now. I don't care if you shut this podcast off. Because if you're a, f- a photographer, you really need to go look up his street photography, which is his passion. I mean, he can shoot anything. He's talented. But, man, the moments that he finds. I'm telling you, you're going to have to carve out a little time to go through all this stuff. Because it's really, really motivating. It makes you want to go to New York and shoot photos or anywhere and shoot photos in his style. And it is quite possibly some of the hardest photography you can do because as we discuss in this, sometimes you don't get anything. A lot of the time you go out, you don't have a second chance of getting the shot that you see out in the wild. And it's fun to, to discuss that with him. The other thing I want to say, if you're a publisher listening to this right now, Go print some of his work. If if you publish books or in magazines, photo editorials about photographers, don't waste any more of your time trying to figure out who's going to be popular. Fuck that. Go with the talent, man. And this guy is the talent. I am telling you right now. So get out from behind your little blog and go look up Jason's work and call him immediately. Because he fucking deserves it. I can't say that enough. 
Anyhow, this this podcast does bridge the gap between motorcycles and and photography because we were out there shooting motorcycles, and in fact, when we did the Leica piece, we went out on bikes and we explored the North Island of New Zealand as best we could in the rain. Um, but Jason knows how to shoot just about anything, and it was it was fun to find, as you know, the kind of confluence of those two passions, and also hearing more about New York. It's a place that I'm kind of scared of, honestly. Uh, I've had my experiences there, and I've had good ones, I've had bad ones, but I am not wired or designed for a city like New York. And Jason has found a way to thrive there. He really has. And that is a hard hustle, man. If you don't have the connections and you weren't born into them and you were just starting out in that city, even if you're if you're born there, uh, but not born into it, so to speak, goddamn, that's an uphill fight and he has done it. And that's really cool to see and it's really cool to hear. Anyway, go look up his work right now. Please do yourself a favor. Listen to this podcast and realize um, when you are listening to it that we're in a very public space. So this is the only this is only the second podcast that I've done outside of my little podcast studio here at home. And it's the first podcast I've ever done out of the country. And we were in a very public space and there's people in com- coming and going constantly in a very um, um, busy spot uh, with a lot of our friends working on these projects. So it, just be patient with us. When I listened back to it, I was concerned. I was like, man, is this going to blow a lot of those conversations? But when I listen back, it's, it's actually kind of funny. So I hope you are entertained. The other thing I got to mention, I don't advertise on this here show because I hate advertising. What I do is make some very special American-made products on my website with companies that I really respect. And we bring these to the market together and we offer you a special piece that you can buy from the uh, website and support the show. And I'm excited to announce that I have a very special collaboration coming up with Ship John out of Portland. Fuck it, I'm just going to say it. We're making a badass long sleeve linen shirt for summertime because that is what you need in the desert. And it is almost summer. So that's coming out very soon. And I couldn't be happier with it. Mike and I spent a year designing this and sourcing everything and, and building it. So buckle up with that. Anyhow, I'm sure I'm forgetting a few things, but too late because we're moving on to a great interview with my good friend, Jason Roman. Buckle up. You can kind of hear the levels in your voice if you yeah. kind of monitor that. that. That'll help you out too. But there's no real, there's no real format to this thing. Like It's a conversation. Where it goes, where it goes. Okay. And um, I may remind you to like talk into the mic sometimes. Yep, yep. But my first question, if I'm if I'm just gonna dive in right now, is where did the name come from? Oh, yeah, I get that a lot. Actually, it sounds like um, it's photography related, but it's actually not. It's uh, me and my friend back in the day when I was first working at the Bowery Hotel. We started um, a little T-shirt company. And the idea was that these two characters, Stocks and Bonds, me, Stock, he was Bonds. He started calling me Stock Easy. They're like these bank robbers <laughs> who are like ski masks. It's like a theme thing. So he started calling me Stock Easy at the Bowery, and then it just 
kind of stuck. And then Instagram came around and I was like, stock easy. <laughs> Bank robber name. Yeah, basically. I get it. Stocks and bonds. Man, I guess my my Instagram name is like what well, people know me by too. That's so fucked up. Yeah. That's, what's ha- that's where it goes. I mean, it's weird when somebody just uses their name. <laughs> it kind of is. Yeah, but what's even weirder is when you start calling people by their Instagram names. It's like the it's like the club days, uh, you know, when no one wanted you didn't know someone's real name mm. that gave you an alibi or or a way out if someone was asking you, you know, you know so and so, and you're like, mm-hmm. I've never heard of them. <laughs> <laughs> I've never never heard that name I've before. I've never heard that name before. <laughs> no. Um, say, talk talk one more time because I just adjusted the levels a little check, bit. Check 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 check. Yeah, I think I was I was peaking. You were a little bit a little bit hot coming in hot. That's all right. Okay, that's better. Well, I gotta say, man, like <clears throat> your angle in photography, and this is this is something that you've, you've probably never listened to the show, but I focus on motorcycles. But I think my audience is actually bigger. As I have a bigger audience in photography than I do in bikes. Strangely, mm-hmm. most of the commentary I get are questions about cameras, and you can answer a lot of questions on this. I know you're an amb- ambassador for Leica, so. My question is, when you switched to Leica, did you let another camera go that you were kind of mm. attached to? Hmm. Well, so there's two things I want to speak to on that. And it's an epiphany that I had recently when um, everybody was kind of saying, oh, Instagram is over. Instagram's over. And it kind of plays into what you're saying about your audience being bigger in photography. And I think that's a great thing because when everyone was worried that they were going to lose their following and engagement was dropping they started to create these like offshoot fake Instagrams like Granary and stuff like that where other photographers could go and be with other photographers and they could just, um, I don't know, kind of blow each other. But, <laughs> but <laughs> the reality... Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> the reality is, is that the beauty of Instagram is the fact that we, we're able to reach people that are not interested in the things that we're interested in, right? If you ever get stuck in a space where you're just creating for people that just ride bikes if you're not looking to inspire someone who's never been on a bike before like that's kind of what you do right you're cultivating like an emotion there's an energy there's culture to what it is that you're doing and I love the fact that someone can see that and be like oh man I want to go get on a bike but if you're just doing it for people that ride then you leave yourself open to criticism in a way that like that might not be the conversation that you want to have for me with photography I love that someone's looking at my images and feeling emotionally moved by them, not asking me what aperture I shot it at. Yeah. Right. So if I get into a space with just photographers, then I failed. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I have a, I, I, you never really, you never really grow outside of your hometown and my hometown being motorcycles. If I didn't make this thing available to people outside the tiny little niche motorcycle scene that I'm in it would just be a kind of little incestuous pocket yeah for us and i I do make it for us i aspire to make something as close as i can to the reality of what it feels like for those guys but i also make it aspirational for someone who maybe has never been on a bike maybe someone who's never ridden through the desert Mm -hmm. you kind of get some insight into that so you're exactly right yeah it's it's also easy to forget that not everybody's doing what you're doing. You know, you know? your photos aren't, I don't, I don't question how you do any of it. You're mm. right. What I get out of your photography <laughs> is like, I want to go out and shoot in New York. Yeah. That's what I, that's the conversation I want to have. Yeah. You know, 
And uh, I think a lot of people, especially when you have fear of creating, if you're a director, if you're a writer and all that stuff, that fear doesn't come from the mass majority of people that are consuming whatever it is that you've created. It's come from the fact that you think you're being judged by your peers. But you're not creating for them. Yeah. They're not the ones putting money in your pocket. Yeah. They're not the masses. They're going to go consume whatever it is that you made. So I always tell people to get out of the habit of thinking that as a director, it's got to be perfect because maybe Kubrick's going to see it. <laughs> like, that is so silly. It's a fine line to walk because you want to represent those that you're shooting in the most authentic way possible. But you also, like you said, you're trying to do this as a career mm-hmm. and really like there's a commercial aspect to what we do and you know, that's what pays the bills. Yeah. A lot of people ask them like, I never show any of my commercial work. Mm. And, uh, quite honestly, because I'm never really proud of it. It never feels authentic anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of a fine line of, of shooting your authentic passions and making that uh, aspirational to the rest of the world, but then also being presentable in the commercial world. Mm. Yeah, I guess I feel the same way. And it's because, you know, I talked to you about portrait photography and how I don't share any of my portrait work. And it's because it doesn't feel like me yet. I'm still doing the imitation thing, yeah. you know, where I'm like, and that's a good place to start. Um, and I guess I have to walk back some of the things that I'm saying, because I'm not just trying to produce for the masses, but I do think that there is a better conversation to be had with people who are only looking at something from an emotional perspective, you know? Yeah. Um, rather than the technical perspective all the time. I love talking about gear. I love talking about all that stuff. Um, but I think the I have more epiphanies about life in photography or whatever it is that I'm doing when I'm speaking to someone that has no clue how to operate a camera. But that's because you're shooting real life. Mm. And I think you're, <clears throat> you are more, you're more tuned in to the reality rather than the technicality. Mm. I know people, you know, not everybody has the personality that you have, but they love photography. And for them, it's a technical pursuit. Mm-hmm. You know, taking that perfect photo with, with the gradients of the, you know, if they're doing yeah. black and white, they're trying to explore all the midtones. Like, that's what they're pursuing, yeah. the way that you pursue that very privileged moment on the street. Mm. So it's it's different personality types that I've noticed, and I can't really... I can't really speak to the technical side. I mean, I don't, I can, but I don't, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think about that. I know, look, there's, there's way better photographers out there, right? It's just, that's just life. It's always going to be that way. But the, the business side of photography is also very difficult because the question that I get a lot is, how did you make it? How do you make it? What do you do? There's just too many variables, right? There's some people that are just, masters at what they do and they're like the world has to bend to them right and then there's other people who just know how to talk and they could teach the fuck out of a class but they can't take a picture right and then there's anomalies like me that could shoot and talk yeah yeah (laughs) and so so to try to give someone a blueprint is almost impossible (laughs) that that's a good point i mean i for anybody listening what 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 advice do you have for them in um Making it is such a weird one because to me, all that means is paying your bills with your passion. You know, that that to me is making it. For, I guess, first of all, you have to, we should probably try and define for mm-hmm. people what we think making it is. Yeah, indeed. Um, so you first. <laughs> <laughs> to me, making it is creating my own schedule, right? Ooh, that's uh, w- good. Whether that means making enough money 
or um, uh, not working with the people that I don't want to work with, like making it means that I'm in control of my life. Yeah. Artistically and when I take a day off. Total agency over everything. Yes. That's making it. Yeah, you're right. Howdy, Rick. What's up, Rick? For for those of you listening, uh, (laughs) we are in a... what would you call this? A commissary? <laughs> a commissary? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, we're, do. we're just we're in a we're in a public space right now. So this is this is actually, we're in a public space where we live. <laughs> yeah, this is actually the first. Uh, no, it's the second podcast I've only done outside my little studio. Oh. So bringing this gear around. And, wow, and, I'm honored. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll do another one in in my spot, and you know, it's just. I kind of like it. Yeah, we'll do we'll do a shoot and then we'll talk about it. Yeah, uh, exactly, exactly. Uh, f- okay, for me, I really like what you said about calling your own shots. We're gonna let that garage door open <laughs> real quick. <laughs> real quick, everyone. If you're along on this ride, you're, you're gonna get a lot of that to yeah. this interview. Yeah. I bet there's a car coming out of this garage. This gonna be too. a there's gonna be a trailer and a car and then a uh, whatever those sledgehammers we'll power through I think the um, I think calling your own shots definitely is is a great part of that I've been doing that for almost a decade no over a decade now fuck I have holy shit why do I keep saying a decade that was like 13 years ago mm-hmm. over a decade um, there are times though even in the scenario that I've gotten myself into that I don't, I don't feel like I'm secure. Hmm. Uh, uh, waiting for that next phone call, you know, watching the bank account. I think making it for me is a combination of that, but also being ahead enough to survive the droughts. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever really get there, but I, got, I, I kind of aspire to be there. I, f- I feel that. And the one thing that I have noticed from where I was uh, like six years ago, it's all, it's like the, 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 the more well off you are, the bigger your bills are. It's like, you almost don't really advance in life. Ever. Yeah. You just get bigger bills. <laughs> That's just part of being a grown up. They yeah, just get bigger. It. You make more, they get bigger. Yeah. You make more, your bills get bigger and you still end up thinking about money. And you live in the you live in the heart of it, man. I live in the heart of it. It's incredibly expensive, so it's nice to travel and feel like, oh, this place is cheap. <laughs> Have you ever thought about taking the overhead that, I mean, the income you're making now, moving somewhere where the overhead is a fraction of what you're paying now? Could you still do it? I don't know that I could because I need I need that inspiration, and it's just right outside my door. You know, I really need to walk outside and feel that energy because I, I I do get a lot of energy from cities yeah i get super inspired the moment i step outside that makes sense i get the opposite mm-hmm. like it's the same for me i don't think i could go to a city mm-hmm. i like to be i can see horizon to horizon that's what inspires me mm-hmm. you know the thing I, just, I was shooting last before i came out here were time lapses of the the crazy monsoon clouds in the desert oh yeah you know it's just i don't have any reason i'm probably never use them but I was just like, maybe I, maybe, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't say that. And I hadn't done, I had done very little time last photography, but I stepped outside. I saw those clouds. They were changing so quick, grabbed the camera. And that was my, mm-hmm. you know, that was my shot for the day. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think about that too, and I think that's something that I, I'm trying to break out of because you just said that, like, like right now I'm doing a project on moths. Been photographing moths, macro photography of like a guy in Washington who has the biggest collection of moths in North America. And when I went to his place five years ago, he was using some Leica uh, microscopes, the glass on it, and uh, we were looking at moths. And I was like, this is incredible. I didn't even know moths were this beautiful. Right. Thousands of species of moths. Didn't know anything about them. We all know butterflies. <laughs> right, yeah. And I was like, I need to photograph this. So this is something I started doing, and it had occurred to me that, like, when you try to approach a new project, like, is this something that, that seems like it's me? Right? Does this seem true to me? Am I ever going to use this? But I like the idea of not being pigeonholed to one thing. You know? That's a great that's a great breakout of what people know you for. Shooting such a an intimate, tiny little macro still life of something. Mm-hmm. But I can only do that now because I'm at a place of comfort. If I was doing that when I first started out, it'd be kind of weird maybe. Because like, people wouldn't know you yet. Yeah. Or or, you know, you kinda so you asked earlier before we got into this, you said what advice would I offer someone? And Give us one second. <laughs> Ooh, man, Rick, it's really dragging the trailer out. <laughs> dragging the trailer. Dragging the trailer. I think he got it. We'll let him. We'll let that door close, and then we should be good for four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's not closed yet. There it goes. Do you remember? Do you remember what you were saying? Oh, uh, you were saying what advice would I give somebody? And I, I asked that same question to a mentor of mine, Ralph Gibson. Incredible, like a photographer. I mean, they've made Ralph Gibson edition cameras. Stop. Let them finish, because this is a really great soundbite. Do you feel like you hear them? I can hear them. Mm-hmm. I can hear them enough for it to bother me. This is the longest conversation those two have ever had in here. And I guarantee you it's about nothing. Probably. I think Harry's pointing at the roof. <laughs> He's probably like, I lost a nugget of weed. <laughs> have you seen it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think he just smoked it this morning and forgot. <laughs> Rama ate it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take it from the top. You were saying. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> sorry, we got somebody demonstrating some karate in the background. <laughs> uh, one of my mentors, this guy, Ralph Gibson, who's an incredible, like a photographer and ambassador I work with a lot. I was talking to him about that same thing about advice. And um, he, he put it very simply as he does with almost everything he ever tells me. It's one of the reasons why I stopped shooting film the way that I used to shoot it. And uh, before I tell you the second quote, I'll tell you the first one. Because uh, during the lockdown, um, me and him would just randomly speak on the phone. He's 82. God damn it, Harry. Ralph Gibson's 82 and he'd call me. And uh, he'd ask what I was doing. And at that time, I'd have like a fucking VR rig on. I'd be like playing video games. I built a PC. I was doing nothing, just burning time, like really enjoying the lockdown. I was built for it, you know. And he'd go out on walks and uh, he was like, yeah, I'm just about done with a book. And I was like, you're done with a book? 
what the hell am I? This 82-year-old man is just working his ass off. He'd go and walk every day and shoot nature. And uh, I started talking to him about film. I'm like, do you ever load up your film cameras anymore? Because I, I was developing. Go out and shoot some film. Come back home, develop it, process it, whatever, scan it. And he was like, no. He's telling me about this book that he shot in Israel in two weeks. He's like, if I were shooting that on film back in the day, it would have taken me months. And I would have needed like three times as many assistants. And he's like, every night we shot digital, we got home and we laid out all the prints we made the prints and then i made selections so by the time we left we already had the book finished and i'm like that's incredible and he was like back in the day when i shot film it was about that tangible it was about the prints about hanging the prints making the prints better and nowadays photography is about an idea that he needs to express and his ideas move faster than the dark room and i was like oof so that's i kind of put poetic yeah so i had to put film to the side for a second because I'm like, in this moment in my life, it's more about the creative element of execution than like the romanticism of photography. Yeah, I need in, instant feedback and I need to correct constantly because I'm growing and I'm learning. I don't have the luxury and film's expensive. So you can't just go and get your film developed tomorrow anymore. You know, it's not five cents. No. <laughs> so then no. the other side of that, what's up? No, I'm just saying, and uh, scanning takes time. That's uh, like, you don't get it right sometimes the first yeah. time. It's like a really long process. Yeah. Yeah. And in today's world, it's like, if you need to shoot, 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 you just got to do it. And do you ever feel like film photography, you know, everybody who, I mean, that's where I started was mm. in a wet process in the dark room lab. Um, I was skeptical about digital, but when the technology got far enough, it's like, I don't, I don't feel like I need to be elite about this. This is an excellent tool. Well, <clears throat> I work with a lot of legendary photographers. No, a ton of them. Not a single one of them still shoot film. So I don't know what that means. For them, it's not important to shoot film anymore. Film is what they shot because it's what was available, right? Yeah. The moment digital caught up, they just shot digital. Yeah. So does it have a look? Sure. It's got a look. But I do think that it's one of those processes. It's like if you build a shitty bike, right? If you got it running, it doesn't mean it's not a shitty bike. <laughs> it's a shitty bike. You're just really proud of yourself because you got it to fire up, right? Yeah. That's kind of how a lot of film photographers are today. They put a lot of importance on it because they see time as importance instead of quality as importance. Yeah. I see time as money. You're really <laughs> saving it a lot of it. I got a lot of things I want to shoot. I yeah. got a lot of things I want to explore. Yeah. And I've got some great film cameras. I use them occasionally and it's mm -hmm. special, but it's a privilege to do that. Yeah. It's romantic too. When I go on vacation with my girlfriend, I grab a film camera. Yes. You know? I yeah, love be it. Because you don't shoot the same way you do if you're ex necessarily exploring mm -hmm. you're shooting uh it's almost like kind of a vacation from that uh that aspect of of exploring excellence because mm -hmm. you can't see it you're like this is what it is mm -hmm. and you accept it you yeah. know you don't you don't necessarily shoot 20 shots of the same thing from different angles you go all right yeah if I have it, I have it. If I don't, I move on. Yeah, it's yeah, and it's also it's the purest form of isolating an emotion, right? If I'm on vacation, it's I just want to capture the moment. 
I'm not thinking about composition. I'm not thinking about all these things that I would when I'm shooting digital. Because like when I'm shooting digital, it's like I, it, I'm like I have to get this moment. Yeah. There's no there's no option but yeah. to get this moment. Yeah. When I'm on vacation, I'm just like the moment's been captured. <laughs> like there's there's nothing I could do better than this. The wind's blowing. I just snapped. It's done. Yeah. I hear that. There's something very liberating about that. Mm-hmm. Well, you were going to say something else. I think I cut you off. Oh, oh no. It was just the other advice that Ralph offered. Yeah. What was and that? It's, it's also very, very simple. Uh, when talking about how to make it as a photographer, he just said to me, he said, uh, you know, stick to your strengths and stay the fuck away from your weaknesses. <laughs> <laughs> it was very simple. That's great advice. Very, very simple. He's a wise man. <laughs> He's a very, very wise man. Very wise man. Okay, now oh, we got some half-naked people yeah, in the background. Circuses in town. Very circuses in full effect. And if you're wondering which half is naked, yeah, I'll tell you right now, you don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> but also, it's kind of scary because we're so comfortable with it. Yeah, it's familiar, isn't it? It's familiar. I, yeah, I had a thought about that. It slipped me. I was distracted. Hang on. It's coming back. Stay away from the weaknesses. Stay away from the weaknesses. No, no. It, the, my thought is that um, you almost have to make a rule to break a rule, mm. you know, and to get uh, a, a reaction from that. It's good, bro. Come on, it's man. All good. Yeah. We just, we just talking. Yeah, talk to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How was your night? <laughs> you guys got there at five. Yeah. Uh, good morning. <laughs> Good morning, good morning. It's it's only. Uh, <laughs> I know we heard you, dude, man. That's fucking crazy. Night shoots. Yeah, enjoy. <laughs> You're over the kitchen. You're not over us, so we're good. <laughs> Was that that drilling? <laughs> oh my god, dude! It was a jackhammer. Yeah, I felt Every bad morning. for you guys, dude. I was like, they just got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fuck. All right. And that was a commercial from beanbags.com. Uh, <laughs> the best plush beanbags. Get all the shapes that you're interested in getting. <laughs> I love our commercial breaks in here. This is great. Yeah. Um my response to that was, yeah, you almost have to um make a rule to break a rule and get a response from it. You know what I mean? Mm. Make a rule, break a rule, get a response from it. It's like learning. Well, yeah, it is. But let's say your rule, let's call it. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, because there's the leash. Oh, he already took the dog. I, I think, think he already took him out. They might be outside here on the left. Yeah, I think he might be out back. I hear him. No. Harry must be there. Circus, dude. Circus. Circus. Um, your, your street photography, for example, <clears throat> I know you as that. Well, I know, I know there's the, the other aspects, too. I see you shooting commercially. I see you shooting artistically. But when I look at your Instagram, which I spent like a fucking hour going through it the other night, man, it's so good. Thanks, Like man. those yeah. moments are so good. And I know some of it's film, some of it's digital. But the slice of timing you have to get some of those moments is just incredible. 
And I know that you put thought into that before you attack it. But I'm saying, like, if you're shooting these moths now, you're breaking this rule that I know mm. you for, mm. which is like the street photography. And that elicits a response to me, like, this is totally different. Yeah. You know, and, and if I hadn't known you for being a street photographer and I saw a picture of a moth and you were just a photographer, I'd be like, well, this guy shoots moths too. Mm. You know, it wouldn't really get the response. Yeah. But it, if you've made that rule and you break that rule, you kind of bring a response to it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But I also think about, I don't know, you, you told me something that somebody said about uh, an episode that you had streamed. And it was one of the ladies that had watched it. And she said that she loved seeing the sensitivity through the masculinity. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Photography is very similar in a sense that like every portrait is a self-portrait, right? Every photograph is a depiction of who I am and what I see is beautiful. So when I do create images, I hope that, and I know that because I've put my personality out there on the line, I'm a young black man from New York, that that sensitivity translates when someone looks at, to my, looks at my work, right? You might not think that this is something that I find beautiful and maybe I'm like, there's some, um, I don't want to say a contradiction or like there's stereotypes of what I might photograph, but I think about those things when I'm shooting. You know, I think about where I am in that space or how somebody might think about me in that space that I'm in where maybe I don't belong. Maybe they're not used to seeing me there, but I know that that translates. So I think about who's consuming the images and how they think about me. That's in really good. Moments. Yeah, that's interesting, man. Can I ask you, when you approach a scene that you think there's something there, like, do you have a technique going into it hmm. at this point after you've been doing it so long? Yeah, I think, <clears throat> I think I studied acting for five years. Mm. And I've, like, part of studying acting was just really thinking about what makes people tick. Sometimes just watching someone's expression outside. I'd go to Union Square before I owned a camera and just, I'd go to Union Square. <laughs> Everybody's making an appearance in this. This is going to be the longest cast list this of your podcast. <laughs> sure, this is. Rama wants a credit. <laughs> what, what's he? What's he barking at? Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Okay. Um, I actually forgot what I was saying. You were. I was asking about the approach going. Oh, and you were talking about acting. Yeah, and I think I'm just so in tune emotionally to people. Um that the, the certain style of street photography that I knew, uh, the stereotypical version of it where it's like sneak, capture, steal, you know, acquire, it started to not work for me anymore because those photos felt meaningless, you know? If I didn't interact with the space, then it felt like, well, there's not, why am I sharing this? Okay, somebody just spilled ice cream on their shirt. I don't, I don't particularly care about that. But if I sat around and I watched someone, if I absorbed that energy, if I felt, if I saw it in their eyes and I had an understanding of what, or an idea, I don't have an understanding, it's just an assumption. All photography is an assumption, right? There's no, to me, there's no truth. It's I'm showing you something that I find fascinating, right? So my depiction of New York is, if you've never been to New York and you came across my photos, I'm casting a play, right? So I'm, I'm saying, yes, you get to be in this play, because that's the only way that I can maintain some ownership over a city that I'm born in and I own nothing. It's completely driven by money. I will be a fucking distant memory. They'll build some monstrosity on my block. My favorite bar is going to close down. <laughs> like I have no control <laughs> over any of it. But what I get to do is say, fuck you. You don't get to be in the picture. <laughs> you do have total control at that point mm -hmm. and your presentation of that. Yeah. And your participation. That's a good point. 
mm-hmm. because we rarely think about photography as participating. It's usually a voyeuristic. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Kerouac. Mm. You know, he he largely he participated <laughs> in the in the debauchery. I'm not saying that he didn't, but he was very conflicted, and he he had this kind of kind of a long for the ride sort of uh, mentality to it all. It mm. wasn't that he was trying to devour everything. He was with the people trying to devour everything mm-hmm. because he found them fascinating. And in so he participated. But by, without that, I don't think he was by nature meant for that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the difference between superficially like scratching the surface because you can do that with photography you can do that with life you can see someone and write about them or you can like be with them and write about them and those are two different perspectives because he didn't write from their perspective necessarily he wrote from his perspective right because he got to be a part of it totally you know he didn't have to make any assumptions yeah um and i think that approach is so much more appealing to me especially where i come from Uh, a lot of photographers just kind of take these moments and they keep it trekking I feel like it's a shame because if you're going to come and take from New York, you should be at least willing to invest in it. You know, get in, sit down, buy someone a coffee, talk to them, see them. You know, like seeing someone is so powerful. A lot of people are out here not used to it. And uh, that just seems to make me feel more at peace with what I'm doing. You're just you're not just taking though, man. You're giving back. And I think that's what feels like your the participation. Mm-hmm. You know, these images that you're leaving behind I, I i would kind of disagree with you in saying that you're gonna get forgotten and mm. and and left behind him because i think i think the artists always get remembered man. Mm. And i you, hope so your but. your imagery of new york at this time which who is who are we to say what this time really is it could be we could be at a pivotal pivotal monumental time in the history of that city and the history of this country and your images could live up to that I think it's very rare that someone knows when they're at the confluence of all these things that add up to something bigger you know we never really know that until decades later so it's it would be hard to say that it, but at least you're giving something back mm. you know you're you're presenting the city for people who have m- never seen it you know, and for even for those who have, you're representing it in a way that they may see themselves. Yeah, indeed. And to me, that's to just have anyone think of me when they think of New York. It's amazing. What an honor to have someone think of Leica and think of me. It's like, whew, wow, that's great. I got to pat myself on the back. That's success. Too. That is, man. You know, that's having my huge. name brought up with New York is that's something I've always wanted. So. I I do like how. And in New York, New York is given to you too. I feel like that yeah, it's, it's been. It's my whole fucking identity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Leica seems, uh, they seem to be a company and I've never had a, I just want to be straightforward with everybody listening. Like I have never had a conversation with Leica. I, I, this is the first time shooting on a Leica when I've shot you. And I, I like it. it. It's getting to be very familiar mm-hmm. mechanically and one second. <laughs> You shot that one camera before too. M. I gave you the M for a day. When did you do that? When you first got here, three weeks ago. (laughs) I don't think I shot anything on it. I mean, I just kind of walked around here and shot on it. But that was the first video Mm -hmm. that I've shot on a on a Leica. 
Let's just give this a minute. I can't even explain what's going on here, but... Hellraiser. Sounds like a army of wheelbarrows. Somebody's running nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I was, I was just getting to the point that you know, this isn't by any means a paid endor- endorsement for Leica, but I do, after spending the last three days shooting with the camera, I think it has some real potential, and it's it's easy to get familiar with. But the thing I like the most is that it seems to me that it is a camera company that supports its artists. And you don't get that from Canon unless you're the creme de la creme. And you don't get that from Nikon unless you're somebody, you know, to me, you're not bringing anything new to people if you don't risk it and no one else is risking but it. But even if you do get it from Canon and Nikon or Sony, what does it look like? The same shit. Yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't, you get a free camera. Yeah. You get a free plastic camera. <laughs> like yeah. when you get it from Leica, you get the only camera company in the world that has galleries in their stores. That's what I'm saying. They're the only ones that have photo magazines. Yeah. They're the only ones that actually have a real network of incredible photographers. Like when I go to a, like a gallery, the people that I meet and I'm around are some of the best photographers in the world. And because I'm, you know, I'm supported by Leica, they know who I am and I'm being invited into spaces and doors are opening. Like it's, it's an incredible network of people that really care about the camera brand and they care about photography, you know? And that bringing it, you know, back around is they give back. Mm-hmm. They give back. I don't see a lot of, a lot of the big, I shouldn't say big dogs because Leica is the biggest dog in my opinion. <laughs> they've got the history. They've yeah. got the lineage. But um, they don't support the arts as much. They camp, The cameras in there uh, that they're presenting almost feel more of a utility mm. than a paintbrush. Or something like that and I think Leica approaches it differently and they risk it on people that you haven't heard of 100% and the cameras speak for themselves they're the only people making a man who would make a manual focus camera in, tw- in 2023 or a black and white sensor the exact yeah you know Go ahead. No, it's fine. It's, uh, well, we we know we're at the yeah, circus, Rick. It's you got fine. We've established it. Yeah, it's all part of the show, ladies and gentlemen. It's you got a great rack, Rick. <laughs> you got a great rolling rack. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. What did you say? Mm, cameras. I said unique cameras. They give back. Give back. You said. I was just talking about how bold they are. Yeah. And like the fact that the products that they make are not for everyone and they don't, manual. They don't care. Make a manual, make a black manual. Sensor. They just dropped a, a film camera. Like that, who, who's making film cameras right now? That is my point. Okay. I do. I really do appreciate that. Taking that risk mm-hmm. for the arts. Yep. I know I totally lost my train of thought. I did have a good point to bring that all hmm. back around. Rolling rack. Rolling rack. Rolling Rick. racks. <laughs> Rolling rack. <laughs> um, let's see. Yeah. Photography. Uh-huh. Leica supports artists. They really do. I think sports I told artists? you. The supports artists. Oh, supports, supports artists. artists. Yes, yes. And I, I'm sure I told you when I first spoke to them, I, was, I only had 2,000 followers on Instagram. And I just yeah. thought that that was 
insane. I thought it was just some, because at this time I was used to the influencers. I was on YouTube and it was like, oh, everybody's getting sponsored by Fujifilm and Sony. So you kind of pandered to them. Yeah. No one pandered to Leica because they're notorious for not giving anyone anything. They just don't have to. You know, they don't have to give their cameras away. <laughs> and uh, so I was pandering to Fuji and I got a message from Leica and I was just like, some corny social media. I just figured it was some like 23 year old be like, hey, you want to use a camera? <laughs> dismissed. Yeah, dismissed. I was like, eh, why would I use a camera that I could, couldn't technically afford ever? I never aspired to own them. And now you come here, I'm like knee deep in like. <laughs> oh my God, I've never seen so many Leicas in my life. <laughs> kind of insane it is yeah they're a beautiful camera mm-hmm. they do i mean their their aesthetic yeah is it by far the best like i look at them i can't tell the difference if i don't see a screen on the back i'm like oh it's a film camera yeah what yeah is this? uh they've managed to make the bodies the exact same size as their old film cameras so oftentimes i have a silver one and a silver digital i'll grab one and it's the wrong camera yeah it happens to me all the time. No, whoops. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of cool. It's amazing because like it just is a testament to build quality. What it is they're doing? I don't want to make this sound like a like a commercial, but like I am you know, people often think it's like a snobbery to be using these cameras and like maybe you're just biased, but like I can't shoot anything else anymore. Interesting. It's like think like you when you hold something plastic after holding a like you're like this is this is plastic. I feel the same way about shop tools, mm. about lenses, mm-hmm. and when the build quality is heavy, mm-hmm. I know that this was a good tool and made in a good decade, you know, yeah. as opposed to a lot of the um, composite materials that things are made out of today. Yeah, things feel disposable. They do feel disposable. There's a lot of things like that. Sunglasses, if you pick them up, they got some weight to them. You're yeah. like, these are quality. These are quality. You know, yeah. That's kind of how you know... Something good. It's got some Art weight feels to disposable. It. AI feels fucking disposable. It's how I'm so sick of it. If I see one more AI thing, I'm just like, I get it. This is fuck. The fuck this. I'm so I, sick of it. Don't worry. That will die hard. I don't think that that will be given the authority. I think everybody's scared of. It'll be entertaining for a little while mm-hmm. to see what this new life form spits out. Yeah. Artistically, but then I, I, I think it will, we will correct. There's a fear that I have. I've always been someone that's like, I need to know technology. I need to like learn it. Cause I don't want to be that person that like didn't learn to type when everybody was going to type in class. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like, you know, it's early two thousands and you know how to type. <laughs> Cause you're like, this is for women. <laughs> like all the dudes that were like, what are you going to be a secretary? <laughs> you're like uh, cutting class. But like, that could very much happen with technology, right? If you yeah. don't, if you don't get on board, if you don't know Instagram and all these things, and you kind of get left behind, it's true. it starts to age you. So it's like, it's true, but um, I think, you know, my personal intuition is telling me that I think Instagram will probably die soon and be mm-hmm. reborn. There will be a new Instagram, whatever mm-hmm. that is. I couldn't tell you, but I just still fairly new. Yeah, it's yeah. I just feel like it has. Um, it's become a bit of a shopping mall and we're all playing we're all cutting corners to make this algorithm work for us and we're compromising on quality Mm -hmm. which that never lasts you know our attention spans are being dumbed down to these these little you know splashes of uh dopamine and things like your photos are probably getting less 
attention because the, they don't have a reel to them or you're not dancing in them or in your underwear, whatever the fuck the algorithm likes <laughs> yeah. at the time, you know, it, it, you haven't compromised. And I think, um, I think that when Instagram, when people kind of wake up and be like, this is a shopping platform now, people who have invested everything in becoming an influencer into this thing, I don't know how you recover from that. It seems yeah. kind of dangerous. Yeah, I mean, I I guess there's two ways to look at Instagram. And it's like, there's I, maybe you were there, there's somebody on Instagram, I won't say this person's name, but people are using it in ways that are just so sleazy to like advance their platform. Yeah. And I just can't, I've never been that guy that's going to wake up and like a bunch of random profiles, follow a bunch of people, then unfollow them tomorrow and like do all that stuff. I just can't do it. To me, I, I look at Instagram as purely a journal. Yeah, me too. People like it. Fuck, great. If there's some engagement, awesome. But like I'm realizing because of my disgust with the platform and all the pandering that's happening, even with YouTube, I used to be heavy on YouTube, but I feel like everybody's just kind of like, it's not personality anymore. It's just kind of selling yourself, kind of whoring yourself out so a brand will recognize you. So I disappear from these platforms. But as I get back on the Instagram and I scroll four photos and I go, fuck, well, that was 2022 and four photos. I'm like upset with myself because I'm like, where else do I go to see that? Like, this is a little document of my life. Yeah. In a sense. But you're you, you never compromised, you know, and I think that if this does have some longevity to it, I think it'll pay off for you mm. because it's just like anything in life. You know, if you stick to your morals and you stick to your vision, um, you're going to be, you're going to get further, mm -hmm. uh, than, than making these compromises or changing, you know, what you believe to be accepted or, or yeah. by a group, you know, that just never works out. Yeah. Indeed. And, and these, I, I do think it's full of hucksters. I really do. Absolutely. And and it's an easy con is the problem. That it, it's very easy to sell an aesthetic that isn't real when you can just put something in borders. Yeah. And um I've I've just saying I feel bad for people who maybe didn't realize that early on and <laughs> have become this this huckster and when this becomes something that people are are you know aware, more aware of mm -hmm. that's not going to last very long yeah yeah and and it's very hard to recover then i mean where do you go after that like you're known for being this guy who sells you know anything mm -hmm. that anybody brings to them yeah there's a there's like a i hate these terms so much like influencer terminology when i was first getting a following and it's like the micro influencer had become more important than the big influencer with a million followers because people disconnect from that person because mm -hmm. they are brand now they're a massive brand and they're just selling you things right but when you have a smaller following the micro influencer is very intimate and people are more willing to believe that what you're selling them is not so that was a strategy they, they started to prefer micro influencers for a little bit i have never even heard that term yeah micro, micro influencers yeah and with that, Blue Boss selling some, uh, what is it, water bottles <laughs> and protein shake holders with a little mixer in them. Buy this dental pick today and get 10% off. Promo code Blue Todd. I feel like every person on Instagram that's in fitness had a water bottle that they were selling. Oh, yeah, or a supplement or something. It's so absurd. Dude. A shake weight, yeah. whatever. Yeah.
if you look at my Instagram algorithm, it's really bizarre. But there is a lot of uh, fitness people on it, mm. actually, because I make a folder, like a workout folder, when I see somebody doing something like oh. for a shoulder yeah. or whatever, yeah. I, I throw I throw it in there. So Instagram thinks I'm like this fitness dude, yeah. and I get just bombarded by... Yeah. The fitness world of Instagram is, is might as well have its own website. It's true. It's a, it is a channel. You know what? Speaking of channels, you brought up a good point. Like YouTube was kind of a, um, it felt honest for a, a, a while. But mm. are you aware of these YouTube shorts now? Oh my God. Dude, I just found those. Yeah. They got millions of views on them. They're reels. Yeah. They're fucking reels. I, I always applauded and upheld YouTube for not pandering to these shorthand little no. meaningless uploads yeah. and now that I come to find out they're fucking full of them full of it full of it full of it and it's it's interesting because the world that I live in on YouTube the photographers want long form yeah they love the long form but that's why like those shorts if you see a photography short with millions of views it's not just photographers watching that, right? Mm. It's it's strange because now you get into these weird conversations where you don't know who you're talking to. Uh, I talk to people about photography and then they'll bring up something like that. A YouTube show. Hey, isn't it cool that people are like doing this video where they go up and they say, hey, I'm a street photographer. May I take your portrait? No, and then please. they shoot like some modely photos oh, with a blurred please. out background. And I'm like, no, it's not fucking cool. I don't like, that's not what it is. It's almost like someone's taking what you love and then completely changing what it means. But because the, like so many people are consuming it, the, the narrative is different. Yeah. I mean, you can't really do anything about it. So, you know what? I think you just, you, you keep doing what you do and you will give, you will offer them the comparison yeah. of something that's real. Well, let me ask you something. Do you ever have, you tell people like you build bikes and like, you know what I mean? You do this stuff and people are like, oh, my friend builds bikes and they show you something. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> what? yeah, 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 what? I, I try. How not, do you navigate that? I, I really try and encourage people and I don't, I don't want to appear to be an elitist, but obviously I have, my tastes are developed, yeah, you know? Yeah. So when somebody shows me something I, I always say hey man you're on you're on you're on the right track you know mm -hmm. if you're in your garage and you're getting the tools set up but what if it's a different beast like you are very much in the chopper harley world right yeah, yeah. when somebody's like oh my friend builds bikes and they show you a cb 360 tricked out or like <laughs> actually that doesn't that always inspires me because i I love watching what the cafe world does mm. and the lines that they make with these bikes. Yeah. I really, I really actually do. It's more so the guy who takes, um, you know, like a modern, um, whatever Evo or over or a Honda, uh, you know, a newer Honda that had a V twin or, or mm. whatever. And they try and make one of these out of it. Mm. I'm, when you say one of these, what do you mean? like, a, like an old school chopper. Okay. And I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, that that's cool that you're trying and you're proud of that and you you've changed something mm -hmm. but and i know eventually they'll get there that their taste will will they'll come to the understanding that this was a movement 
what we're doing is we're continuing mm. these decades of of a lifestyle and and there are these these strange kind of parameters that develop when you do mm. that and you have to go outside those lines and start outside those lines to understand that oh there is kind of this this thing you do with these and these years you look for yeah and if it's not within that do something else yeah it's you like know, a lack of an education. It is a little bit. So how do you feel when someone takes an Harley and turns it into a cafe? I think that's cool. As long, <laughs> Interesting. As long as it's, as long as it, it, it doesn't interest me when it's one of, say, these early, um, this may be a minute. <coughs> We've got the recycling We're doing some sorting now. here. The early overhead valves and flathead valve motors are what they are because that developed in those decades the cafe scene came later you know when people were cafeing bikes out that was like a different decade so if they if they're cafeing an early bike i'm like that didn't happen you know what i mean that never it never worked that way so if if somebody cafes out a bike a 60 style bike that could have happened you know or, so or understanding the history yeah, a little you're bit doing it intentionally a little bit those. yeah yeah and the early, this is this is kind of interesting because these are stripped down machines of what they were originally put together as and that was kind of discovering what's under there and what can be eliminated and make it work with just kind of the bare essentials or exaggerating those essentials uh, essentials the cafe scene actually does that so it's not mm. that different it was just developing in a different part of the world. They were doing the same things with the bikes that they had. Yeah. And they had, and the, the other aspect of it is like understanding the roads that you're on. Like that world had very curvy, fun, tight roads. Those Italian, you know, mm -hmm. Alps, like they were riding a different road. Ours are these long, straight, you know, fucking yeah. American highways. And so the bikes, they're made for that. Interesting. Yeah, so it's these different <clears throat> lines of evolution that happened. And if you step outside those lines of evolution, my, my senses tell me that's an abomination. <laughs> you know? Well, it's the, the same thing can be put to photography, too. And it's because, and I, this I often wonder, because I know certain things. When I look at a portrait, I know certain things to be right. And to be at a certain standard, there's a level, right? Yeah. You're either on that level or you're not on Absolutely. that level, right? There's yeah. a bar. But with that, it's because you've established languages, right? Yeah. There's a vocabulary for all these things. And there's things that we use and there's things that we don't use, right? So, for example, you look at, like, going back to Irving Penn, who, you know, used theater curtains and mm -hmm. threw coffee on them and painted stuff and, like, used um, disaster blankets from the military mm -hmm. to, like, place over. The and then, you know, we're looking... 50 years later and Annie Leibovitz is doing that Norman Jean Roy is doing this Gavin Bond everybody because the language has been established yes, right yeah. so when you look at Vanity Fair and you don't see that ladder splattered with paint right if you don't see big shop lights big Hollywood movie lights those are all paying homage to the things that we've established right as the language is it holding us back to a certain degree mm, I see what you're saying <clears throat> It would be nice to see something new. I think I think it goes back to what we said earlier. You've got to establish these rules to break them and get a response. Mm. And maybe it's time to break them. Yeah, 
But then again, <laughs> if I got a Vanity Fair cover tomorrow, <laughs> uh, give me a backdrop. Give me all of a backdrop. Nice big movie light. Uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, there's some some like really old wood with some paint splatters uh, on it. Like <clears throat> that is an interesting thought. I, I think, I think you can stay if you stay within the lines of what's been established. There's comfort there. There's comfort in the familiarity and um, in that language. People will understand it, so you don't have to risk as much to get a good response. Mm. But I feel like if you broke it in a way, you would probably get a greater response if you executed it. Hmm. But you're taking a greater risk, too. Fortune favors the bold, man. Yeah, but it's also it's interesting to think about freedom in creativity if you just landed here and you had the know-how to build a bike from scratch but you'd never seen a bike what'd you make that's so true i see people do i see excellent fabricators do that all Mm -hmm. the time and excellent mechanics who make something that they is just kind of off the top of their head and if they're unfamiliar with that world it it still appears strange Mm -hmm. even though they're excellent at what they do Mm. I almost wonder if when I first started photographing, if I was a better photographer when I didn't know anything, then now Would having the weight of all the photographers that I love in my mind, you know, it's like I'm, I'm completely under the influence of the world, but you have to constantly search for inspiration. Yeah. You have to look for the things that you love and say, no, this moves me so this is why i'm doing this thing yeah yeah i guess that's the difference right i love a blurry photo (laughs) you know when you get a miss when you get a misfire yeah and it and it's and it works the composition works what the fuck is that sound like somebody beating on the building um no, you know when you have a when you have a misfire yeah let's say you got your shutter speeds off or or like it's you're firing on burst and it's when you move the camera at the end or something and something just, just creates a, a, an, <laughs> a perfect composition yeah. of something unrecognizable. I save those. I love, I them, love them so much. It's abstract. Yeah. Sometimes a blurry photo, just a little bit out of focus sometimes too, or just something about it. I love it yeah. so much. When something's great, sometimes it's, it's hard to describe what the, what the great quality about it is, you know? It's emotional response, and that's the best response, I think, yeah, yeah. to an image. Yeah, it is. It's um, it's surprising, too, what people, I guess, intrinsically know as good, as mm. quality. Like an untrained eye, I could show them some of these things that I've kept, and they would obviously not see a blurry photo, but they'd see a beautiful photo. Mm. You know, that, yeah. that would be the first response, not like, oh, throw that away, it's blurry. They'd be like, no, there's something in there, even mm. though they don't have the language, they don't know what it is. Yeah, I guess depending on what they've consumed and recognized as good as well. Yeah, where do you, where do you look for inspiration? Uh, I buy a lot of photo books, actually. I have a lot of photo books at home. Um, something very different about. I don't have the luxury of having a massive apartment in New York, um, but I went out to Todd Heido's place in San Francisco, and his home was just so inspiring. He had books everywhere and photographs hanging everywhere, paintings. But the the beauty of the books were that every counter space that was available, there was a book that was already open. 
and it was on a page. And he said that him and his wife were basically having conversations with the books and each other. Because a page could stay there for months, and then one day they'd flip through, and then it's on a different page. So it's almost like they were communicating with each other through these books. And uh, for me, consuming a single photo at a time, leaving it there for a week is such a different experience than scrolling through 500 images on Instagram. Oh, my God, yeah. Like, it's just like the death of of loving really the endless scroll Rick texted me sorry what do you say uh somebody's fixing that light oh okay (laughs) eventually no no you're absolutely right I think at what point is the the uh, the endless scroll almost becomes a motion picture but it's meaningless there's Mm. no there's no selected moments there yeah well it's, it's it's there's no weight to it one is it's this big it's a couple inches big the image and then you just pass right through it and then you see another one and another one and they're maybe they're all great or maybe because of the algorithm you're being put into a space where all your like how often do you see anything but a chopper on your instagram oh man yeah yeah, yeah. you know we're being forced into boxes so it's probably not the best place to find inspiration yeah it's a great place to be influenced yeah <laughs> totally know? yeah but yeah, for me, it's either just the act of doing. I just go out with my camera and I make sure I always have one on me and I'm just living with a camera. And if I see something, I got to snap it. Or sometimes I sit there in the morning with my coffee before I go out and photograph in New York and I pull out a book and I flip through it while I drink my coffee and I just get so stoked. I get so stoked to possibly one day create something as meaningful as whatever book that I'm looking at, whether it's Eli Reed or Bruce Davidson or gordon parks i'm looking at these books and i'm like i can do this i feel capable and now i have direction sometimes you walk outside and you're like man i don't know what the fuck i have no clue what to take a picture of sometimes when i come back from a trip like when i'll go back to new york in a week from new zealand i get there and i'm like i have no clue like i feel the most uninspired i possibly could but did you on your trip were you inspired the entire time well this is an interesting trip because i'm shooting non-stop and it's almost like diluting photography in a sense when you shoot this much it's hard to stay inspired when you shoot this much right i mean i can probably i might be getting better maybe because <laughs> i'm shooting non-stop but i'm not loving the work as much as i would if i was just getting one good photo a month you know now i'm getting like in the last month i probably shot like 500 photos that i absolutely love so what is that even it's like what the fuck (laughs) like i don't know what to do with that yeah it's kind of it kind of desaturates the uh the reward a Mm -hmm. bit yeah this is a this is an inspiring place to be a photographer Mm -hmm. it's this countryside is incredible yeah every fucking direction is a is a it's like living in a postcard it can be overwhelming absolutely and having you guys here with these bikes it's like there's no like uh, shortage on subjects, talent. It's like that's the thing about photography. It's like you, you, you're constantly waiting for a subject or an event. And the style of photography that I do, if I don't have that, I ain't got nothing. <laughs> you know. Well, I don't know. I I mean, the images that you that you get on the street to me, they look like there is. They say to me, there is always something happening mm. because I I. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine you just walking through this sea of people with a camera on your shoulder and just kind of hunting. Yeah, absolutely. 
that's it. But I make photography really hard on myself because if I don't see the eyes that I capture in my images, if I don't feel that, I don't shoot anything. So I can have an entire day walking around with friends and I don't see anybody with that connection. You know, I don't see that moment that I'm dying to capture. And I, you can't force that. You can't really. I, somebody once asked me how, how I get people to look the way they do in my photographs. And I'm like, you can't, you can't coach someone to go somewhere that they've never been. You know what I mean? If I came up to you, I'm like, oh, you got a great face. Do me a favor. Will you look a little pensive? And I, I can't do that. Nobody's gonna, you know, they're not going to deliver. What I do is I approach that person and I say, uh, first off, I try to get the photo without them noticing <laughs> just to preserve it that's always the best yeah and if if i can't get it then i'll be like listen i'm sorry to bother you but i noticed you were thinking about something would you mind going back there and i'll and i'll take a picture of you if it's okay and they're like oh yeah wow okay yeah i could do that and i'm like yeah just whatever you were thinking about you were just staring off just just go back there i'm gonna step back and i'll photograph and they often will be able to go back to that space because they were thinking about something that obviously registered and it was unavoidable you know interesting so you do ask them to go back sometimes? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. How often do you leave the house and come back with nothing versus how often do you go out and you feel like you come back with something? More times than not, I got nothing. More times than not, I got nothing. That's well, good for people to know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you, if you do street photography, then you know that that's typically, typically the, uh, your hit ratios are very low. Um, in a month, if you have one good photo that you love, that's, that's big deal. Well, that's good to know. Because it's all timing, right? It's like you, you, things that could have been excellent, you just completely biff. <laughs> like, you know, you miss focus or yeah. your camera was off and like, you're like, what the hell? You know, so it's always these, these like missed opportunities. I think every photographer's probably got a photo in their mind that they could reference where you're like, that, that one hurt for a long time. Do you think when, um, when you were starting out, did you did you think, man, I wish I had subjects to shoot? Like, I wish I had models or I wish I had uh, the clout mm -hmm. um, to be someone that I could I could get good subjects to volunteer to shoot with. Um, or were start. you were you always satisfied with just like the street dice? Yeah, I was. It's if I think back, I was doing street stuff. I was pretty happy with it because it's what I realized that I was already doing uh, with my cell phone from way back. I went to Thailand. First time I went to Thailand, I didn't have a camera. And I was taking pictures with my cell phone. Mm. And they're posted on my stories. And I scroll back. I'm like, that was street photography. I've been doing it for a while. I never really thought about it. And then um, I ran into a good friend of mine, Zenith Richards, who had uh, assisted Annie Leibovitz for a while. And then he was assisting Norman. And he, we just didn't know how we knew each other. We're sitting at a bar one night. I was bartending, and I was like, oh, "You look familiar." So like, you look familiar too. And we had some shots, and he'd come back to the bar, and he was with some friends, and we'd be like, "Karate class? Did you study acting? Did you do this?" Like we <laughs> kept throwing stuff, and we'd never figured it out. But we exchanged Instagram, and I saw that he was a photographer, and I was like, "Dude, I'm, I've been shooting." He's like, "You should come to set one day, and I could teach you some more stuff because I wanted to get more serious about it." The next morning, I woke up to a picture he had sent me that he'd taken of me when I was like 18 um, with a girl that I was talking to. So we worked together at Diesel on 60th and Lexington. I was 27 now. So it was a photo from 10 years ago. And we just, <laughs> we had no clue, you know. So we reconnected and he started getting me on set around all these major fashion photographers. And um, he taught me everything I knew about studio portraiture. And 
photography and I immediately was like talking to other people and I would have models come and I would shoot them in my apartment. So everything came in time when I needed it to. I never felt like I was wanting anything. Uh, for me, photography was always about what can I shoot right now, you know? So whether it be my girlfriend or my dog or a street or a model, I constantly was just out doing things. Did you did you feel like being exposed to the fashion world made you want to steer clear of that? Or were you caught up in that for a little while? I think I I think I I hated it because what I realized is that Zenith to me was better than everybody that we were assisting and he's also a young black guy. And we were often the only two black people in the space. So we'd be in these huge sets and it would just be us. And it would be with photographers who like couldn't even hold a candle to this kid. And um, we'd set up their lighting, we'd do everything. And then all I had to do was show up and hit the button. So I was already a little disgusted with it. And then there was the, the self-importance that came with it too. And I, photography up until that point had been fun for me. And then it was starting to give me anxiety. And I didn't like that. I didn't, I didn't like waking up and being like, fuck, I don't want to go to set. Like, I hated that feeling. Like, why am I I'm about to be on the biggest set? Like, this is this should be nourishing. And I hated it. And so I just was like, dude, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, and I think that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth for, like, fashion or any of that stuff and pursuing it. It's it's kind of toxic, man. I really don't yeah. like the, uh, the energy and the way people treat each other in those scenes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard people talk horribly about models right next to them and I don't like that. And I've heard people call, oh, this girl's face looks like a cow. And I'm just like, what the fuck? It's, like, what? How dare you? Like, there's how can no you talk to excuse like that? for that. There's no excuse for it. But that's that's the industry. It's been like that for so long. And people don't plan on changing. And, and to be completely honest, all of that work, aside from some of the greats, you know, like Helmet and all the people that, incredible portrait photographers, it's meaningless. It's disposable. If it doesn't have a vehicle to exist in, then it's fucking worthless. <laughs> like, it's it's just the truth. It's like you take a fashion photo. And it's like, okay, cool. Why'd I do that? Even now, I like when I was doing fashion in my studios, I'd have a stylist come by and bring a bunch of clothes, and I'd shoot it, and I loved the process of shooting. But the moment it was done, I was like, yeah, yeah. Now what? <laughs> totally disposable. Yeah, yeah. You you don't cling to it like you do a real moment. Mm-hmm something that's not curated something yeah. that you walked through or lived through yeah when you're shooting us on the bikes is there is there a same level of excitement as in your hunting in the streets yes absolutely um anything i mean you guys are incredibly photogenic the bikes are photogenic so there's an element of like i'm not a biker so i'm thinking about how to um photograph the environment in a way that maybe you guys haven't seen or maybe I'm doing something just a little bit different because of the way that I shoot street photography I think you do a really good job of not posing any of us mm -hmm. not making any of us do it again mm -hmm. you know although we would do it like yeah. if you said hey do that again or stand there like this like totally we would do it but yeah. you, you always seem to find it without us having to do that mm -hmm. and in so we we just look right yeah yeah, indeed. I think that's important for sure. I mean, first first and foremost, if you're taking pictures of people, you got to protect their image. There's nothing I hate more than when somebody photographs me and I'm like, you don't know when someone looks attractive or not. <laughs> like, you're a photographer. That's like part of your job. And people do that all the time. They're just like, I took a photo. Here, look. And you're like, 
but you made that person look that's just not a good angle for like they don't look good why would you do that to them yeah <laughs> you know yeah. so i'm always i want people to, to like see an image and feel like good about themselves well you want them to see the beauty that you see in yeah them. exactly yeah but that's not always like it's not always just there you have to work a little bit for it you know what i mean like if you have someone show up for a portrait Sometimes you go, oh, that's not it. <laughs> Let me get a little lower. Let me get a little higher. And then you find it and you start to learn how to photograph someone and you just got to switch it up, you know, and then you get that moment and you're like, this is badass. They're going to be proud of this because I'm proud of it too, you know, and I know I'm an aesthetic person. Being an aesthetic person and somewhat superficial helps in photography. <laughs> oh, you have to. Yeah. You got to be a little bit, right? You got to be aware of these things. Yeah. But I feel like your street photography, um, I mean, that that is a great way to explain an approach as shooting someone's portrait in a studio or in an environment you can control. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the thing about your street photography is that it, oh, Rama, do you want to be on the podcast? Here, say mm -hmm. something. You want to say something? I'll have a sniff. <laughs> um, I feel like your your st street photography reveals more than it hides. Mm. God damn it. Oh, we got a big old... Look at that. We got a wall. Uh-oh. I think Rick's protecting the... Wow. The view inside there. Good job, Rick. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm saying I think I think you're the thing about your street photography that makes it so striking is that it, it reveals more than it hides mm. versus when you're shooting a, in a studio or trying to get like a beauty shot, the beautification of something you sometimes have to hide more than you show. Mm, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely hear that. Um, you know, there's certain I mean, obviously you weren't talking about this, but there is. One of the photographers I love the most, Bruce Gilden, his photos are very intense. I was showing you some of them the other day. Yeah. And I love that stuff. And I never, I never really judge people for the things that they're willing to show. You know, we all have to have our own set of ethics and morals with what we're doing and make peace with it, you know? And it's almost like the end justifies the means, right? If you want to portray somebody in that light, if those are the type of images that you want to take, then you have to be willing to deal with the circumstance of creating those images. I am not someone to tell you. Like... A horrible example is like, it's like comedy, right? If it's funny, I'm going to laugh. But if it's not, <laughs> your career could be over, right? <laughs> like, I think about that all the time. I don't care how dirty the joke is, how racist the joke is. If it's funny, I'll laugh at it. <laughs> but if it's not, you got a problem. <laughs> if it's not, it's on you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And you're yeah. going to have some angry people. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good, yeah, that's a good I'm sometimes I'm willing to take take the consequences. For example, on on one of the last episodes of my show, I cut together this scene of Ryan Grossman fixing this tire, right? And he was just on one that night. Man, to me that's Ryan at his best when he's just fucking making fun of people and hand me that fucking tool and doing his thing and and like putting on a show, right? But that's a side that I don't know if he shows to everyone. Mm. So I was like, man, do I put this in there? Because he may be pissed that I show him for what I think is funny. And mm -hmm. I put it in there. He thought it was hilarious. Oh, so I took the risk and it worked out. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't know if it would. I didn't know if he'd be like, man, what yeah. the fuck? Sorry, Grossman. I, 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 now I know 
you're okay with that, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> I also, I hate that I've gotten to a place in life too where I'm now thinking like that about things. Not even in this particular situation, but like in general, where I'm like, it's a shame that there was a time where I didn't care. I'm like, I'm just sharing this. I'm creating. I don't give a fuck. Like, you saw the camera. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is an agreement. Yeah. Right? Um, but now it's like, you start to build a little bit of a platform. You know the eyes that are going to be on it. And now you're like, can I share this? Right. I got to think twice about sharing something that's meaningful to me. Yeah. That's just an awareness that kind of takes a weight eventually. Yeah. But some people don't ever have that. Yeah. You know, like a Bruce Gilden. I don't think that's a good thing, though. I think maybe it worked out for, for a Bruce Gilden, but I, I think, or maybe he was aware of it and was just comfortable enough to step outside those boundaries. But I don't ever, I don't ever want to, I don't want to hurt anybody. It's not necessarily about hurting someone. I think it, like I said, it's like an agreement, right? It's like, but they, but if, if they, even if it's just their feelings mm -hmm. that get hurt, I don't take any. Yeah, and and if it and if it were to get a million likes, that wouldn't be worth it for me. Mm. If I knew that I hurt someone's feelings yeah. that way, I, that's just the way I'm wired. Yeah, no, I get that for sure. I'm trying to think of images that I've created where I felt that way, where I'm like, man, I could never post this, but I fucking I really love this image, mm -hmm. you know. There's definitely a few of them out there because it's a familiar feeling of me being like. If this was 2005. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the good old days of the internet. Good old, jokes. good old days. Yeah. Do you, do you think of yourself evolving into something? I mean, I guess you're shooting the mods right now, but do you, is there something you aspire to evolve into with your work? Mm. Is this what, is this it for you? Do you want to pursue this for as long as you can foresee? <clears throat> For me, photography is pure passion to me, as long as I can do it personally for myself. I don't necessarily like hiring my camera out because it removes what I love about photography. I'm doing it these days because I'm pursuing a lifestyle as I'm getting older that is very appealing to me and that lifestyle is constantly traveling. So since I've gotten cameras in my life, they've, they've got me plane tickets. And that is something that I just love. I love the idea of living in London with my girlfriend for six months, or I'm in New Zealand right now for a year or, or France or whatever it is, but I love doing it on other people's dimes. <laughs> so my photography is a means to get the lifestyle that I want first and foremost. Within that, I can do whatever I want. I can walk around on my days off and photograph. We'll take a short intermission. Yeah, actually I have to pee. Yeah. Can you pause? No, it, no, let's yeah. pause it. Yeah, go pee. Short intermission, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes, I'm telling you, man, if you if you want to make some chaos, just pull out a camera yep. or a microphone. Yep. Uh, wanting to travel through photography, but do you want to travel for photography? I'm willing to do both. Um, I, in this moment, I'm traveling for photography, and there are times where I'm traveling because of photography. Um, I, I, I need to distinguish what the two are, I think. So traveling because of photography is when someone else pays me. Traveling for photography is when I plan on going to shoot somewhere. I did a trip like that with my brother and some friends to Morocco recently, actually. 
my brother doesn't really travel much he's afraid of flights so i was like bought a plane ticket for him and i was like we're going to morocco because the furthest he'd been is like mexico and so put him on a plane and i was like where can i take him that's just gonna shock him culturally because to me there's travel and there's vacation and travel is what confronts you it uh it changes your perspective it's hard it's 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 not easy you know you're going somewhere because you want to shift in your life uh where's you know vacations you to go to the beach we're gonna go roast in the sun we're gonna eat some good food and we're not gonna think about anything morocco is not that place <laughs> so um for me when i travel because of photography or because of video i still travel and take photos for myself I find that time, I extend my tickets. You know what I mean? I might land early or I might stay late, but I, I, I make sure that I have some time personally to photograph myself. Business and pleasure. Always. Yeah, I get that. I'm the same way, actually. I've always been that way. I would be on a job and then go shoot my own job mm-hmm. just yeah. to get familiar with a place. Yeah. Or just to get the most out of it. You, you know? feel like you're taking, you know, I, I don't buy souvenirs typically. I take photos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't buy souvenirs either, and that's something I'd like to change. Because when you go to someone's house that's got all this shit from all over the world, and they're like, "Well, I got this little piece of wood in Italy," you're like, "Damn it!" Or like, even <laughs> I if something saw a piece is simple, of wood in Italy. Yeah, <laughs> it just looks cool. Or like, I have a friend that collects keychains or magnets, and I'm like, ah, "I've been all over the world, and I don't have a single magnet." It makes me so angry. <laughs> or a sticker? Yeah, but you gotta have, man. You gotta have a house. No, I mean, there's other things that I have that I could probably get rid of to have a world shelf. One in, one out. Just a couple things. Mm-hmm. You know? I think I think photography is uh, it is the reason why I, I like aspire to travel. I can't imagine going anywhere without a camera, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I've done trips like that, and I've intentionally left my camera, and then I just end up shooting a ton of shit on my cell phone. I can't separate myself from it anymore. No, and when people tell me they're traveling without a camera, I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Leica is a good travel camera. It's a great travel camera. It's small. It's not intrusive when you pull it out in public. It's kind of like having a... What are you going to say? I was going to say... It's going to say something terrible. <laughs> I stopped myself. <laughs> Camera's kind of like Apple. <laughs> 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 no, but it can, it can. I feel inappropriate sometimes if I pull out a big ass camera and, no. and a telephoto lens and I'm pointed no. at people. You know, can't do it. You can't, but like us, it, it's not intrusive like that. Being a rangefinder camera, it's much smaller. Mm-hmm. That is one aspect that I really like about it. Yeah, and I, people are always saying, well, I have a cell phone. This is common. I get it. It's great. Cell phone is great. But the difference between a cell phone and a camera is intention. Cell phones lack intention. Like, it's an afterthought. Oh, that's cool. I'm going to take that photo. I have a camera. I'm looking for it. And I would say 90% of my cell phone photos, I don't ever look at again. That's a good point. No, I don't. You know how many sunsets I've taken that I have never... It's a compulsion. It is. Yeah, got it. Yeah, it is. And But when I'm in the moment without a camera, I feel like I have to do something with this. Mm-hmm. Even though I never do anything with it, it... it makes me feel better about it having taken a picture of it well you get it out of the way and then you get to enjoy it (laughs) yeah yeah exactly let me capture this because i'll never how (laughs) there's a famous uh was it the simpsons dude it sounds to me like they're just taking big boards and just slamming (laughs) it together i know what we're doing (laughs) 
Simpsons episode? Uh, Homer saying? is like, he's rec- I forget what he's doing. He doesn't have a camera or something. He went to a thing and he's like, he's like, how, I'm going to botch it, but it's really funny because it's similar to what we're saying. But he's like, how else am I supposed to remember this memory if I don't take a video of it? <laughs> like, <laughs> That's so true, man. That's how we're wired now. There was a, there was an author. I'm never going to remember her name. It's embarrassing. Um, I might have to include it in the description of this. Uh, but she writes about the evil of the camera. Mm. And I I was intrigued to see, you know, in my lifetime, it's enabled me mm. so much. Over the whole of, you know, humanity, she's saying that cameras outlived their effectiveness for good, basically. And now they're kind of turning us into monsters. Mm. Whereas when a camera was first invented, it was an outward kind of exploration. And now we're not really exploring anything. We're just kind of taking pictures of ourselves. Interesting. It's falsifying our own reality. That's interesting to me because I just, the thought that was popping up into my head as you were saying that was how I thought my biggest failure as a photographer is that I haven't learned how to turn the camera on myself yet Mm. in my own life. Mm. Like, why do you feel that way? Because I, I, I often don't, but when I think of photographs as memories and I think about living and creating those memories, you don't remember. If I said, what were you doing in 2017? You're not going to tell me your entire year. You're going to tell me a couple moments, right? It's just impossible. You don't live day to day. We remember the highs and the lows and that's it. And that's like photographs, right? So if you're doing it properly, if I'm doing it properly, I feel like documenting my own life and making uh, memories solidified in a photograph, which I just don't do. I rarely photograph my friends sitting around because to me, photography has been this one thing. So I feel like in, in that respect, I'm failing. I need to start turning the camera on my meet the immediate. I see like if I go out to have a drink, I'm not like, oh, I can make a great photograph here. I don't ever do that. I see what you're saying. Yeah, you're not documenting the the personal moments mm-hmm. to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you feel like you need to do more of that because you're letting that those t- those moments slip. Yeah, and then I think back on my year and I'm like, it's just a bunch of photographs of strangers. Ah, uh, <laughs> that's yeah. I see what you're saying. They're really good photographs, though. <laughs> <laughs> They're great, but I should be doing that. I should have better photographs of my brother, yeah. you know? Yeah. I should I have better that. photographs of my dog. I should have more photographs of my dog on my cell phone than my real cameras. Yeah, when when people say, hey, take a picture of us over here, it's like I, your family. I pull out my cell phone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <I'm> exactly. Not... <laughs> Intention, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I want to talk more about New Zealand, you know, and the what inspiration did you find here? Well, one interesting thing about this place is I haven't had a motorcycle in New York for a while now. And having motorcycles here to go and explore and ride, I've been riding more than I ever have. And I mean, I probably got like a good 20 hours of riding logged in the last month, maybe, which is amazing. And this place is so beautiful it's so clean it's so safe to ride like the seas part when people saw us filming on motorcycles the other day they were like slowing down to let you i don't know if you noticed that i did notice that i did and i always 
I don't know how to react to that because mm-hmm. I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. I try and film in a way where I'm not noticed that I'm shooting off a bike, mm-hmm. off of a bike, but mm-hmm. sometimes it's pretty obvious. Yeah, and I just I just find being in a place where people have respect for another life is incredible. Because if we did this in New York, <laughs> somebody would try to run us off the road. <laughs> and I also love that. I also love that people are like fuck everybody <laughs> well it's just a it's it's a proximity issue yes. you're just you have no personal space mm-hmm. and so you devalue anything around you yeah mm-hmm. and um yeah you're, it's, you're overstimulated and it, yeah yeah everything you're, you're, is encroaching on your personal space you're just fighting for the tiny little sliver you have la was the same way mm. when i when i was there i just felt like any time I left my gate of my warehouse, it was kind of a battle to do anything, get a parking spot, just get to the grocery store. Um, And on a motorcycle there, you know, actually I will say that LA is, this is way better than LA, but LA people look for motorcycles for the most part. Mm. But no, well, they're used to it. I think there's more people riding there. Yeah. There's 5 million people in this country and most of them live in this city. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy because we don't see them. No. Where are they? <laughs> I don't know. I, I like them all, though. They're such good people. <laughs> yeah. I think I think that uh, I don't want the cat to get out of the bag, but I, as far as a big city goes, this is the cleanest place I've ever seen in my life. I put it in second place to Switzerland. Oh, I've never been to Switzerland. Man, it's like the streets are paved in gold. I've never experienced anything like it before. Really? Did you go there to shoot, or what were you doing there? I didn't own a camera when I went to Switzerland. I went there with my girlfriend, stayed at her cousin's place, and it was, I just, I've culturally never seen anything like it before. It's expensive, Uh, it's insanely clean, it's very cool. People shush you on the streets if you're being loud and drunk and obnoxious, because it's like just social etiquette. But one thing that was really cool is there was like a, a a waterway that ran through the city and it's like a pretty strong current. And what people would do, there's like a bunch of like bars and restaurants on either side. And there's beautiful women, the most beautiful women ever, just chilling in their bikinis. And then there's like a skate park and basketball players. So a bunch of men and none of them harassing these beautiful women. None of them are just being like obnoxious. They're not stepping out of place. And I'm like, whoa, that was crazy. Like that coming from the U.S., it's kind of something to behold. <laughs> you know what I that mean? That is different. Yeah. And then on top of it, we kept seeing. I'm telling you, dude, there's some guy out there with boards. Just, just clapping boards. When you talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, we kept seeing people disrobe and jump off of this railing into the water. And it would go down about a mile. And then they'd come back and pick up their backpacks or their laptops or their cameras. They would literally just leave, leave there. all of their stuff right there on the side. And no one would touch it. And I asked him that. And he's like, there's no stealing in Switzerland. He's like, if you left your laptop in the train, you could go back to the lost and found and you'll get it. No way. Yeah. How, how many people are, I wonder how many people are in that country. Uh, I don't know. Not don't know. many. Probably I'm not thinking. Many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, that's just, I think that's a quality of a place with less people. Oh, 100%. And there's, I, no one seems desperate here. You know, I'm sure there are very desperate cases, but... Mm-hmm for the most part people seem to feel like they're taken care of here yeah indeed yeah how many of us went to the hospital 
in this like little stay <laughs> more than one which more, is a lot yeah like, and and that's <clears throat> they got care they got in they got out yeah it's pretty remarkable yeah i hope they can keep it this special yeah i hope so too um it feels a bit like a secret right now new zealand and i'm just like waiting for the floodgates i'm telling you dude every time you talk I don't know what to do right now. It's so <laughs> distracting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I could live out here. I, I could. So. I really, I could. It's getting, it's kind of feels, it's intimidating to me to think of it in such a familiar way. So I'm like, I'm 8,000 miles away from home mm. and I could totally live here. Yeah. And I married a Kiwi. Yeah. So that, I, could, I, could, I can't imagine leaving the desert, but if I did, I mean, this, this is a, would be a great place to come to. No, let, uh, let me ask you this. Is there a combination of culture, uh, particularly with photography, that fits any better than a motorcycle that you found? I mean, I think the two are just so perfectly suited to go together. Since I can remember when I wanted my first bike and my first camera, the idea was to just be riding aimlessly with a camera on my back. Like... <laughs> uh, fuck, fuck man now we'll just we'll keep talking over the the nonsense yeah yeah whatever we'll use it is that rain yes it is oh thank you thank you thank you so much oh great fantastic good news well well then okay <laughs> of course well <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Thanks, Rick. You were getting to a really good point about the camera and the motorcycle, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't think there are two things more suited to go together than a camera and a motorcycle because, one, the amount of ground you can cover on a motorcycle is different from just walking around. But then having these moments, all these, all these photographers that have always inspired me, these depictions of America, I've always thought about doing a big road trip and I haven't done it yet but you think about Zen in the art of motorcycle maintenance and he wrote right and you know for, for photography is almost a similar creative endeavor where you're like I'm going to capture this road and it'd been interesting if he had a photo you know camera with him when he did all that so pictures worth a thousand words yeah indeed yeah that was that was a great that was a hugely influential book for me in high school it was funny I read it it was I, I can trace two really pivotal storytellers back to 1999 when I read Zen in the Art for the first time and when I saw Fight Club for the first time <laughs> because if if you, I don't know if anybody ever thinks in these terms but um, they were the same story yeah, interesting they were the same fucking story and, and I, I had just finished the book and Fight Club came out on my birthday and I went to the theater and I watched it and I was like, oh my God, this is the same twist. This is the same, this is Zen in the art. Has anybody made a movie? No. Of Zen? Mm -hmm. No. No. Isn't that weird? It is. It, that was per, Robert Persig's. I don't know if he ever gave up the rights to hmm. his stuff. I'd, I'd like to look into that. He also... <clears throat> he also wrote a book called Lila that was about sailing. Mm -hmm. It's the same kind of 
metaphysical conversation involving sailing and this woman and this relationship with this woman. It wasn't as, I don't think it was as good, but it was like the next level for him in getting metaphysical. Mm. And I don't think either of those ever got licensed into films. That's a shame because I think it'd be, I think it could be like a far scump of our time. Oh, absolutely. If somebody did it right. Absolutely. He was, do you know that he was legally committed? Like no. he, he, he went to, he had a mental breakdown and was committed into an institution and he created, he recreated himself to get out of there by, by making this, um, other character that was synchronized with modern day society mm. and it, the reason he melted down is because his natural self so just couldn't find his way out of the meaninglessness of everything that was natural like the, the the natural world and uh yeah it was like he knew and outsmarted his own um psychological impulses to dismiss hmm. everything it's really fascinating, man. And his yeah. and the son in in this in the book got murdered later in li- in real life. Such a tragic fucking story. Wow, I didn't know any of that. Yeah, yeah, it's such a tragic fucking story. But it would make an it would make an incredible movie just to take it that far. It would be really hard to make. Yeah. Because you have so much to live up to. Yeah. Do you do you think about making films or making shooting the video or, or narrative aspect of like how street photography translates to video? Yeah, or a movie or I a story. So I've I've only so I've shot three short films and um I do a lot of video for a living. It pays most of my bills. More so than stills. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. By choice. I just video I'd rather hire out a video camera than a photo camera. Mm-hmm. Um, I get what you're saying. I love photography until I have deliverables and then I fucking hate it. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I why I should just start getting an editor for everything, but I love color. So I don't do that, but it's interesting because right now I'm in the infancy of video and like cinematically where I'm just doing what looks like a movie. And when I start thinking about how to do it properly, I'm like, wait, if, if what I do is still, why am I moving this camera so much? Mm. Right. Like if I if I'm supposed to draw from my own life, if you do it properly, you draw from what you already do. So why am I not composing as if like a Roy Anderson? You ever seen any Roy Anderson? Yeah, films? yeah. It's all still. The camera doesn't move. Those are photographs. And yeah. They're fucking beautiful. Yeah. And I look at that and I'm like, why are my films look like that? So. Well, you because you're not composing though. Yeah, I'm uh, just doing the idea. Yeah. I'm playing the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you, I mean, the hardest thing. The hardest thing with shooting a video or, or, or telling a story in a video is you kind of have to have something to say mm-hmm. in that format. Do you have something to say? I do. I do. I have two films that I'm like, when I'm ready, I'll probably make those two films and I'd be really happy if I did that. One of them is my pandemic story that I told you about, like living with an uber wealthy family the power dynamics that came along with that and this idea of never leaving this, these gates for six months didn't leave and slowly kind of losing my mind in the isolation with that and what I did to to combat you know insanity <laughs> in a sense even though I'm what in which be the most idyllic situation ever right in a in a lockdown yeah yeah situation yeah, right, yeah. having a, a billionaire estate to be running around yeah at. yeah someone's cooking for me I got nothing to worry about I got no worries in the world <laughs> but you know 
Uh, and then the other thing is uh, this uh, a horror film. I grew up watching so much horror, and my um, grandmother was very religious. And it's a movie about in the projects where we grew up in the where we grew up in the Bronx. There's a bunch of true stories that are turned into a horror film about trauma and pain and growing up in the projects. And she was someone who couldn't verbalize those things to us, verbalize the fear of the streets that, oh, you could get shot by someone or the police and, like, you need to come home. And what she used to do instead was control us through fear, which is pretty common, right? It's like, oh, you do this, I'm going to beat you. You do that, I'm going to beat you. And then we'd take out the trash, and she'd always say, the lady with the white hand's going to get you if you don't hurry back. Yeah, it was terrifying. We were young, and, like, we had these giant trash compactors, and it was always, the lady with the white hand is going to get you. So... I started writing this thing called The Lady with the White Hand and it's about it's about these kids growing up in the projects and uh, all these dangers and this trauma and it turns into a horror story. I mean, that's the devil, you know? That's yeah. like Lady with the White Hands is uh, it's that uh, it's somebody that's going to grab it's you. It's the boogeyman. Take you away. It's, it's yeah. all those things. Yeah. Yeah. Kendrick Lamar has a song called Fear and it's about that. It's about being governed through fear and how hard that is growing up because it it keeps you confined in a way that like you you don't even realize that you're doing things that hold you back constantly for example okay i was working for google and i shot this piece on a woman who did like behavioral studies and she was working on google maps and google maps adding photos to a restaurants was under I'm like, why is this under the umbrella of what it is that you're doing and it was because she was helping them understand how to better serve people through using photographs to make them feel comfortable about traveling to, traveling to places that they were uncomfortable like they, they they that were foreign to them right so there's two types of people in life someone that cried and always got hugged and picked up and then there's the other people that didn't right the person that always got hugged understands that their needs are going to be met in life like a foundational understanding that if something goes wrong I'm going to be okay and then there are these other people that have to convince themselves that things are going to be okay because they're not used to having their needs met. Those are the people that didn't get hugged, right? So when you go on Google Maps and you look at the lighting of a restaurant and you look at the food that the restaurant serves and you look at the space, that's you convincing yourself that your needs are going to be met, you know? Wow. Am Man. I going to go into this bar? It's too bright. Am I even welcome in this space? You know, and this is, I'm someone like that who like grew up, my father passed away when I was young, my mom was working. So like, I'm not used to my needs getting, every time I enter a new space, I have to convince myself that I'm supposed to be there and it's going to be okay. Interesting. Yeah. Which is why photography is a very powerful thing because naturally I'm introverted, <laughs> you know? But you really had to work your way out of that. I have to, you have to, otherwise you don't live. Dude, you do such a good job with people. No, it's remarkable. I'm not kidding. Like even navigating just like the small group of Pete guys that we have here. At, uh, for what did he do? My headphones right in my ear. Oh. <laughs> God damn it, Ron. Uh, given a certain amount of time, can get tricky. But you're, I think you're just very switched on with how to say something, mm. you know, and how to deliver that with a level of sensitivity. That probably comes from being born into a position where you had to navigate that mm -hmm. and know that I got to meet my own needs. I got to work this out for myself because a lot of people don't have that sensitivity, man. They're just kind of lead footed. Absolutely. And I, I think from, yeah, from being a sensitive person and having to navigate that space, you understand that like you understand that often what someone is saying is not actually what they're saying. 
Yeah. Right? Like yeah. Everybody has their own expectations and their own needs. And you kind of got to dig a little bit deeper. Just a little bit beyond the words to be like, oh, I, I understand what this person's saying. Yeah, that's very, that's a very good point. And we've experienced that. You know, we've experienced that this trip. Yeah. So. Uh, you, when you put a, a group together, that this shit is the most alpha shit out <laughs> yeah. there next to the military. Yeah, you know? for and, sure. And I think we, for the most part, we all do a really good job. Yeah, because, like, to me, that's, like, I don't even know, like, it, I, I don't try to be that person. But you get put in that position a lot you, because you you're good at it. I have big brother energy. I get a lot. I hear that a ton. And uh, it's not because, it's because I don't deal in certain things. You know what I mean? I'm not bothered by it. I'm like, okay, well, if you want the space, you can have the space, have yeah. it. You know, there's no, but there's also like, in, you sh- we should all have a bit of integrity. And there are lines. You know what I mean? It's just having self-respect. That's it. You have self-respect. People are going to treat you like you do. Well, I think that's, that's a really good quality to have when you're trying to represent someone in a photograph mm. because you got to be sensitive to all of that. Yeah. Not just when you're taking the photograph, but how it's used, like all these things add up to a, a kind of an ecosystem that is fragile. Mm-hmm. The most successful photographers I know, if I'm honest about it, they, they're better technicians with people, mm-hmm. even better than they are with the camera. Sometimes I wonder if I have it in me to be that way. Like I look at certain photographers who are like really, and I know I can get there, but it's fucking exhausting. It exhausts me. I can be in a space and I can work a room and I know I can. But when I leave that room, I'm like, fuck, do I? I'm so tired. And there's some people that can just be on like that forever. They can be on like that nonstop. And I'm like, dude, how do you do that? It's perpetual to them. It's fuel. It's fuel. That's like, it just keeps fueling them. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not wired that way either. And I'm not in the best situation because I don't really play that. I don't navigate that game. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of stand in the background of everything. I let everybody else kind of work it out. And then when we go to the next spot, I usually disappear. (laughs) Not even the guy that goes to the next spot. No, dude, I'm so used to being the person that's like, we're going to the We're on our way. Like, and then you get invited places because you're that guy that's like, can help lift the energy and then you're there and you're like upset because you're like oh, i gotta entertain people <laughs> that's a big responsibility it's when big you're put in that position yeah yeah i used to i mean when we owned when we had the shop in la we were put in that position all the time we'd host parties would be 1200 of our friends drunk and having a blast and that was a great chapter in my life mm-hmm. it fucking exhausted me mm. and i had no idea at the time how how worn out i was because it was like when you wake up the next morning you kind of have to do it again yeah yep and there's something that i've come to realize about being around the people that we are on the level that they're working at it's very when you're working around celebrities there's almost like a burden for them to constantly be that entertainment oh yeah right people are always looking at them to set the tones at the pace of the night and all that stuff and one thing that I've realized that's value is to be someone that can offset some of that burden, right? So if you can be an energy in that space, if you can take a little bit off of them, then you're valuable, you know? Right, that's yeah. a good point. Because then they get to turn off for a moment. Yeah, they don't have to always be on. Yeah. 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 
or they can they themselves don't have to be the entertainment they can yeah. be entertained yeah. it's very it happens very the moment they walk into a space everybody's like hmm. i'm looking at that person right now i'm miming looking at them for <laughs> i guess that's the that's that's the weight or that's the definition of a public figure yeah would you ever want that man i used to when i was studying acting i used to want it but when did that when did that turn I got a TV show for Discovery. Um, I was signed on to be the main sh- host of a TV show, just a reality show. We were doing underground fight clubs in New York. Really? I was fighting in one of my friend's boxing clubs, this underground fight club, and uh, they approached me about it. And it was the guys that did 24-7 on HBO, so these guys had won a bunch of Emmys. Okay. And I introduced them to the kid that was running the fight clubs, and they were like, don't like them, we want you to do it. Oh. Well, you do it with our best friend. And I was like, yeah, I could throw these fight clubs, we could do that. And we were on for talks for almost a year, casting everything. We had this guy, police chief, retired police sergeant, 15 years fighting one of my good friends who had been locked up for 15 Holy years for, shit. for shooting somebody and killing a kid when he was 15. And that was going to be the first episode. Holy shit. And it was, it was epic. And again, the people that were filming this were HBO, 24-7, Vidiots. These guys were legends. They created a format that people weren't doing yet, and now it's mimicked throughout every single sports franchise. Like it was just that far ahead of the curve. They were. I mean, it was just poetic. Like, it was, it was, you know, so if Mayweather was fighting somebody, they would follow the boxing camps as they trained for two weeks before the fight, which got everybody. If you weren't into boxing and you just watched two people train talking about their opponent, you're now into this fight. So these guys who had won 12 Emmys for this show wanted to do a show about me and my friend having these fights, and Discovery wanted to write it. They would not just let it be. They didn't trust anybody. They wanted to write these episodes and make them fucking corny. Corny. And we said no. They wanted to clean. They wanted to dirty me up because they were like, you're a little too clean. We need you to be. I'm like, how can I? We have dentists fighting in this show. How am I supposed to be a diplomat if I'm dirty? It doesn't make any sense. They just had these ideas and they were just fucking idiots if I was being completely honest with you. It's just a bunch of people with power that thought they knew what they were talking about and they didn't. And we said no to one too many times and the day before shooting our first episode they pulled it. Yeah. And uh, it just kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. That's, I mean, I'm glad that you didn't compromise because yeah. they would have made it fucking oh, been a joke. They went to Detroit and reshot it. They did everything. They, did they, it ever they come shelved out? us. No, no. Uh, the Detroit one came out and it bombed horribly. Because it was terrible. Um, they shelved ours, but at the time when we had the sizzle, I still have the sizzle reel I'll show it to you. Yeah. Um, everybody wanted it. AMC wanted it. Discovery wanted it. HBO. But Discovery bid for five episodes. And so we gave it to them. And then they just shelved it. So nobody else wanted it after that. Man, there are so many stories like that. Uh, yeah. It's hard to love this industry. Ah, oh, man. All I really know of it is rejection. Yeah, it's, t- it's a racket, man. And when I say... I know you've heard me say it like I don't like actors. It's not I don't it's not like I dislike actors. I dislike what the industry turns them into mm. out of a sense of desperation and out of like you know, you put all your eggs in this one basket. It's do or die. That's the beauty of photography. You don't gotta wait for a single fucking person you to don't, do what you want to do. You really don't. It's liberating. Mm-hmm. To have have be independent of all that. I still gotta be around it, you know. we've got some friends who have made it and I love that there are examples that we can point to and say, see, you can do it. Yeah. You can do it. It still inspires me, but the truth of it is, God, it's a racket to get there. Yeah, it all is. It's a recipe of talent, charisma, 
and a huge fucking dash of who you know. And a little luck. <laughs> a lot of luck. Yeah, and a lot of luck. You wouldn't go back to it, huh? Acting? You'd be a great actor. I don't know, man. <laughs> I'll cast you in some shit. <laughs> let, me think of, let me write you up yeah, a little. I'd give it a shot. <laughs> I do. It, I, it crosses. It, sometimes it crosses my mind. But I just, I've, I feel like I've been so away from it for so long. And I've been photographing for so long and pointing video cameras at someone else. That, like, I've become so hyper aware of myself. That I, I need to be, like, in an acting class for at least a year again. To, like, kind of dust all that stuff off. I don't know, man. I, I think the awareness that you gather of working behind the camera really helps when you're in front of it too mm. because you start to realize how much less is more mm. you know when you're aware of what the camera can actually capture it, 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 I, I always see people working at it you know but then a few times you'll you'll notice somebody who works that does no work and nails it mm. and i think that's because people maybe sometimes feel like they got to overcompensate for the camera's sake when it's mm. just the opposite and if you know your angles and if you know where yeah. that camera's at and where that light's at you know maybe the only fucking thing you got to do is move your eyes yeah yeah that's true once yeah. you know i think i to, to me i think one aspect that would make you a great actor other than the fact that you are sensitive to people and know people is the fact that you really understand lighting and cameras and mm. mm -hmm. technical ability yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I studied theater when I first met Jay, actually. I was a theater actor, and I was taking classes and all that stuff, and he's constantly like, quit. Quit acting. You don't need acting classes. <laughs> you might not need acting classes for, for something with a camera, but theater's very different. Well, I find that <laughs> most acting classes are a fucking racket. It's a scam. Yeah. But what isn't a scam is discovering what makes you tick. Right, you take a script and you break it down, and you have to understand. You bring yourself to that role. Okay, who is Jason Roman as a doctor? Who is Jason Roman as a thief? Who is Jason Roman under all these circumstances? And then, why is he saying this? Why are they choosing these words? Right, you're coming up with answers about who you are more than anybody can teach you. Right, this is why some of these giant acting studios that handpicked oh we'll take marlon brando and we'll take denier they're not working with people that are they're turning into great actors mm -hmm. they're grading these already amazing people and teaching them how to use themselves as instruments mm -hmm. and i think that that's important because the toolbox is already there yeah you can't teach someone that's just a horrible actor how to act it's almost impossible they have to have some type of understanding because i've seen it happen i've seen people in my classes for four years that are just not getting it yeah. they just don't understand the work they don't have that sensitivity yeah do you think you could teach them through a camera? I think you can save them through editing. Because <laughs> <laughs> I really, I really love acting. I, I like the pressure, and I also like the feeling when you know you nailed it. It's mm. pure elation. Yeah. When you've pulled one over and it's a convincing moment. Now you're the 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 hunted has become the hunter mm. you know you've you've done it you've made us instead of going out and shooting that thing as if it really were happening you made it happen it's a very rewarding feeling yeah 
And there's so much choreography involved, man. You've got to hit the marks and the focus and the, yeah. you know. I'd love to do it in a big way. When I think about it like that, I think I would. I think I would try it again. Because it's like, I don't know, when I was studying, I was fucking great. And, I, and I'm not somebody that toots their own horn a lot. But, like, when I'm good at something, I know I'm good at it. And yeah. I wouldn't even say this about photography. Like, I, I know that I can shoot. But when I was acting, like... Like my, I, I was probably the best student in my class. We did Othello. I brought the house down. Like, did multiple scenes and brought the house down. And I remember Brett Goldstein, who still casts some major films to this day. I think what what ruined me too is for acting. She came to class one day because she saw me act, and then I did her on camera workshop. And she was like, "I almost called you for this feature film, but you're just not polished enough." She's like, you're just not consistent enough. She's like, some days you're fucking brilliant, and some days you're a mess. <laughs> yeah, but so was Brando. So were all those dudes. Yeah. Dude, fucking, uh, I mean, to take it back to those decades, I think the those messy dudes were what made it so fascinating. Yeah. I wasn't messy as in, like, I was messy as in, like, insecurity. Mm. Like, certain days I just wasn't feeling myself, and then other days it's almost like you just hop on the right wave, and you're just riding it, and you feel it. You feel you've got everybody. Uh-huh. You can feel that emotion. Uh-huh. And then there's other days where you're just, like, grabbing at straws, and you're like, this isn't working, and I'm breaking down. <laughs> God, I feel like every performer feels that way, though. Yeah. You just got to learn to use it. Yeah. I, I, I would love to see you do some shit. I am. I, we got to write something, man. Yeah, I'm That'd down. That would be really fun. I'll shoot it. I'm fucking down. Excuse my language. <laughs> oh, you can fucking cuss on this thing. <laughs> Fuck. Fuck you, Harry. <laughs> uh, what else did we? What else should we cover here? Could talk more about the camera that's coming out. Yeah, yeah you know, no, I, I mean? like, I like, I like what this is. Yeah, and it's actually kind of interesting because it's it's made me change what this piece could have been. Like, if we did this the very first day, yeah, I'd have been like, oh, I'm gonna come to California. We're gonna shoot the way you shoot uh-huh. out there. And turn the Q3 launch into this, like, it's like a video of one of your podcasts. Like, yeah. the, you know what I mean? I would be, love to do that. That would have been fun. Even if we can still do that, I would do We that. might be able to. I feel like using, and then, like, instead of talking about the camera, it's all of this conversation. Yeah. And it's awesome. The sunlight, the sunset. Both Riding voices. motorcycles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like an episode of this thing. And it's like, the photographs are not excellent. They're just fun. It's yeah. like, I'm living with this camera. I'm going out to, to go find an adventure with this camera. Well, there's no pressure. Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I don't know when, when you shoot that way and you're traveling and shooting off the bike, you know, when, even when I make the show, I'm always looking for the best shot, right? Like yeah. I'm going to try and get the best shot that I can, but there's actually not a lot of pressure because it's so fun to show. The story speaks for itself. Yeah. I like that. I'm trying to trying to do a good, better job of explaining it, but I know if I'm just well, you're just capturing life. You're not forcing anything, and that's that's the difference, right? You shoot a a commercial, an ad, you got to force it. I never ask anybody to do anything twice. Yeah. You know, when we're out on the road, and my format is like, I do 100 miles an hour, I pull over ahead of everybody, they just drive past me, and I do 100 miles an hour to catch back up with them, <laughs> and that's the shot. If I got it, I got it. If I don't, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Versus what we do, where it's like, all right, let's do another loop. Drive by. Drive by again. What are you going to take a photo of? I don't know. Oh, there's a dude doing burnouts. Should we go talk to him? (laughs) (laughs) Those dudes were so suspicious. They were like, what? 
What did they ask? Is it legal? Is it legal? I'm sorry. I don't know. You were doing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, he said, "I'll block the license plate." Out. He was like, "Oh no, 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 it's okay." Oh man, that was funny. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Those were just those were the good old boys of yeah. New Zealand. Yeah. I um, I did was hoping that we would get an interaction, you know, something that had an explanation to it of the mm. shit that you could run into, and that was just fucking perfect. Yeah. Absolutely. If we weren't holding cameras that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I could drill you about the, about kind of the workflow hmm. or your approach to um, something more technical, like hmm. your editing style, all those things, if you thought that were useful. What, what would you see yourself using? I don't know. I feel like... <clears throat> in comparison to what we spoke about just now, like yeah. I like that all so much better. Oh yeah, than I know. like talking about the technical elements of the camera. Um, what are their expectations? They don't give me any artistic briefs. <laughs> they don't give you any any no, type of never, dude. Never. What a fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of amazing, and I'm thinking about like even layering this over it and what that looks like. Yeah, no, you'll have some plenty of yeah, options. Yeah. Like as a podcast, and I'm wishing that I almost just would have recorded you out there with me, you know. Oh right, I mean, that's the but thing I about my show. I'm always in it, out there with me. Oh, you do have a couple photos where you're spinning around and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then you you probably could. Yeah. See, I think that's an honest. I think that's. I think that level of honesty. You know what you're showing, saying about discovery, like scripting these things out. Mm-hmm. you knew that there was no reason to do that there was plenty of story just letting it evolve yeah. I've had the same problem with people wanting to do a motorcycle show the story is there it's fun something always happens yeah. you don't need to hide a camera make it a character yeah yeah indeed you know the character almost becomes part it's, it's having the conversation with us mm-hmm. when you shoot that way yeah it's giving you a window, an emotional window to connect as a, instead of being a voyeur, you're now an active participant. And people aren't scared of it. I'm not. And that's why I choose to shoot wider angle cameras, lenses. Because they're smaller? No, because they're an invitation. You look like you're a part of the environment as opposed to a voyeur. Oh, I see what you're saying. In the photo. Yes. 24 millimeter, 28 millimeter. Yeah. To me, those are, uh, those are focal lengths for locals. Local focals. Local focals. <laughs> Where's 50 millimeter and up? Or for foreigners. And They're for portrait. warriors. Yeah. Yeah. But like if you're doing street photography, if you're doing that kind of stuff, I could take your portrait with a 35. You know what I mean? I could do it with a 28. Like most of the men's health stuff I did was all 24. But there's something about that that's telling people we're in it. We're not just looking at it. If I shot everything at 80, I'm telling you to look at this thing. We're, we feel disconnected. It's almost cold. Do you think because it hides most of everything? I think because it gives you a vantage perspective of like there's no, there's no, um, there's no place. There's no environmental information. There's, yeah. no, there's, nothing, there's no grounding element. There's no context. Yeah. Right. So when I shoot 24 millimeter, there's so much context that you now are like, I get it. Background, foreground. Yeah. 
side to side all of it yeah and i've clearly i have to get close so i'm now in the photograph yeah i shoot i i, I agree i shoot more um i've in my later uh kind of evolution i shoot i shoot wide with a telephoto i move way the fuck back because mm-hmm. i really like pulling the background up close yeah, yeah. sometimes um and not minimizing it mm. when i'm in some beautiful places that's interesting. I do the exact opposite. You get way up there. I get way close with the 24. Yeah. No, no, no. I go, I go way back. I try and go way back and get that rule of thirds mm-hmm. and bring the background closer. Um, except for when I ride. When I ride, I've got to be way wider. As, you, as we figured yeah. out, you know, 16 is pretty much, I don't shoot anything tighter than a 16. Mm-hmm. When I'm shooting off the bike. Yeah. Yeah. I've never shot anybody while I was riding before. It's kind of tricky. Yeah. I'm not that strong of a rider to yeah, attempt you, it. I tried it once in the desert with you guys and nearly dumped the bike. Yeah, dumped yeah. that fucking live wire. <laughs> I get really scared for my friends who ask me about that sometimes. And I'm, I just, first thing I tell them is just ride for a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. Like really get familiar with the bike. Plus... I was sketched out a little bit riding these newer bikes because having a foot clutch, I can have my hand or my foot on the clutch, my hand on the throttle, and really be in way more control of the bike and still have my hand on the camera. Mm. Whereas with when we were riding and shooting, um, I have to let go of my camera to pull in the clutch mm-hmm. and to brake. And when we're riding through the city, you know, mm. I have way more control with just my foot and my hand. Interesting. Yeah, so these older bikes, even though it looks more busy, having a foot clutch to shoot with is way easier. Interesting. I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. Like, the, when we were just pulling out of here, when we were doing these little test shots up the street, we rolled up to that stoplight, and uh, I was in second, and I couldn't pull in the clutch to stop, you know, but I was putting on the brake. So the bike was just, I was still trying to shoot you. So I just, I slammed it without pulling the clutch in. And then it just like jumped forward. Yeah. On me. And I was like, fuck, can't do that either. <laughs> it's funny what you get familiar with, you know? Yeah. When you have to. Yeah. Well, I don't know if, I mean, we can do another round if we think of some shit, but this yeah. was a pretty good little. Yeah, this down. is great. I always enjoy sitting down talking with you. We have ritual every morning we get some coffee and we talk fun man and so i appreciate it i think we're both very like-minded people absolutely i think i i want to get you out to the desert man and now i really want to shoot a short film with you now that i know that you've been acting (laughs) (laughs) take me into the desert man i just got to cover up this new york tattoo (laughs) Nah, nah, there's plenty of transplants but let's work let's work together with some shit this year yeah if we I'd can love line to. it up absolutely i would absolutely love that yeah, i love what you're doing i'd love to come out and ride some more and just you know i'm already feeling so much more comfortable on a motorcycle right now because it's been you know since the lockdown i haven't ridden it's about a year god two years dude that pan american fits you pretty well 
should like that bike, man. You I ride that bike that more thing. confidently than I do. I don't, I don't like getting on that. I can't <laughs> really? even touch the ground on it. <laughs> uh, you know what I read online? Because I went online and everybody keeps asking me about the bike. I'm like, I don't know shit about this bike. And it gets so much attention every time I pull over. This guy's like, what's that? Evo engine? I'm like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> So I went online to read the specs. <laughs> I wouldn't know either. Yeah. No clue. Wouldn't know what to tell him. And it, apparently there's something in that bike that you can turn on that changes the height. Oh, you when can you adjust the ride height? Yeah. I'll be damned. I'm yeah. not surprised. I mean, obviously, right? I would think so because as a shorter dude, yeah. that would turn me off. Yeah, who, like who are you selling to? Apparently, when you turn it off, it's supposed to lower. Does yours do that? No, it doesn't. So there's certain settings there's, in there that are just not activated yet. There's a mode. I'm sure yeah. you could do that. Yeah. I might have to give it a shot. Yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah, man, it's been... I, I brought this gear here without any idea of who I would mm. sit down with. But I'm really glad I brought it because of, I love talking photo and uh, I love your work. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm I honored to be a part of this. I couldn't be happier to have it work out the way that it did, man. Sweet. Yeah. Well, hopefully this can go over some video when I come to the desert too. I can't wait to see what you do with it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Jake. Appreciate you, brother. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Adios. All right, how was that? You guys didn't get uh, too overwhelmed with the outside bombardment of construction and people doing busy things. Oh, man, that was stressful on the day, but I'm still glad that we did it. And I really like this interview. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you go check out Jason's work and, you know, reach out to him. Tell him what you find meaningful about it. And uh, I think you'll see more collaborations from he and I. Uh, we're very like-minded, and I just have a good time working with Jason. Whether it's in front of the camera or shooting beside him, he's, he's a real good partner in crime. Shit, you know what? You know what's also very important in this episode? Is the music. The music that was brought to you by Rocco DeLuca, my other partner in crime here who uh, we have done all the original music for this show together. Well, he has. I've just told him what we needed, and he just gets it done. So thank you, Rocco. Thank you, everyone listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Please, if you can, go buy something from the website. All I can tell you is that it keeps the show going, and I'm very proud of everything on there. And I think we're on to something. If this model can work where we can create our own ecosystem to grow the art uh, by the products that we sell. And these are things that you don't need multiples of, okay? They are, they are made to last. They are made here. They give American men and women jobs, and that's important. And I just think it's the way forward. If, if you can curve your consumer impulse to buy something, buy something from here that does this, and we'll start to see a change. And I won't need to beg for money to make the art. And I can make the movies I want to, the shows you want to see. And we don't have to be bombarded by the shit that's out there. Okay? That's the last thing I got to say about that. And I love you all very much. Be safe out there. And we'll see you down the road.